Welcome to the February 7th meeting of the Medfield Board of Selectmen. This meeting will be held in a hybrid format. The Board of Selectmen will attend in person and members of the public may attend in person. And we have a number of members of the public attending in person tonight, so that's great to see. In addition, members of the public who wish to participate via Zoom may do so by going to the town website, opening up the Board of Selectmen agenda, and when for tonight's meeting, when you do that, there'll be a link. Click on that link and that'll get you in. Um, to start with here, we are recording this uh, meeting. Uh, Medfield TV will be live streaming it, uh, and uh, it'll also be recorded. Uh, as a result of that, we would ask you if you do speak from the chairs and want to say anything, there is a microphone that we'll ask you to use. That microphone does not amplify your voice. It simply picks up the audio feed so that the people uh, who are watching this by TV can get on it. So that's what that's all about. Uh, if you're one of the people who are here tonight to address any of the issues we have on our agenda, we would ask at least the primary speaker to please use that podium there. Feedback we've gotten from people in town who are tuning in to listen to this remotely is that that audio is better than that other microphone. So uh, we'd, we'd ask you to do that. In, in a minute here, we're going to talk about the life vest. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we get started, we'd like to just take a moment of appreciation for our service members serving across the globe, protecting our country. Thank you. All right. Our uh, first appointment of the night is Marion Benaldi, town clerk, to request approval to place a charter amendment question on the ballot as follows. Change the Board of Selectmen and Selectmen slash Selectman to select board or select board member in articles 3, 4, and 10 and throughout other articles and sections of town, the town charter as specified in article 15 of the 2022 annual town meeting warrant and vote thereon on file in the town clerk's office. Are you in here? I'm here. There we are. Of course we do. This is an important and momentous Act okay. by the part of the town. It's important for people to fully understand what they're doing. Okay. <clears throat> so at the annual town meeting in May of 2022, we voted to have a change from board of selectmen to select board, and now it has to go to ballot. Um, our town council, Mark Shrell, has written that language, and I just want the board of selectmen's approval that the language is okay so that I can get my ballots printed. Well, you need to get me how the question should be worded. That's what I gave, that's what you gave me, literally cut and pasted. So, if there's a difference of how it should sound, Mark, now would be the time to know it. Yeah, okay. Well, my point is, is that I want the Board of Selectmen to approve the language. So if that language that's in front of them is not correct, then we should get them the correct language to approve. All right. So to the board, through the chair, the statute on uh, charter amendments specifies exactly what the language is supposed to be and then there's supposed to be a summary. So the language basically is a fill in the blank. It says essentially something like to show the town 
amend the charter, so town of Medfield amend the charter, and summarize all of yes or no, and then what you have there is actually the summary. So that's the essence so of the question. So, so you're saying there's a generic question, should the town of Medfield right. amend the charter, that will be the thing that you'll actually right. vote on the Correct. ballot, yes or no, on. The words that Marion just read was the thing that you would be reading to decide whether or not the town right, should amend that's the charge. Well, the, yeah, the question that you put, Mark, which I believed is what Gus just read, said, shall the town approve the town, the charter amendment proposed by the town meeting summarized below? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the actual question. And then it's yes right. or no, so and I then the summary. Yes. Right. Okay. This, we're, we're doing okay here. Right? Okay. okay, so we're on the same page. So you want me to read it? Right, this is exactly <laughs> how it's going to look. Okay. <laughs> you're on the spot, my friend. So the ballot question is Shall this town approve the charter amendment proposed by the town meeting summarized below? Right. Summary, change board of selectmen and selectmen slash select man to select board or select board member and articles 3, 4, and 10 and throughout other articles and section of town charter as specified in article 15 of 2022 annual town warrant and vote thereon on file at the town clerk's office. Good? Perfect. Questions, comments? No, but I think what people just, it's as simple, like we, we voted it last year so that we will no longer be, everyone kept telling me when I ran last year that I should have select board on the sign. And I'm like, no, that's not actually what I'm running for. I'm running for selectmen. Right. Now, uh, anyone running this year will t still technically be running for selectmen because it will not be voted until they're actually voted in. And then next year will be the first time someone actually will be running for uh, select board of Medfield. So that's, that's the summary of how it should play out. People should understand we're just going through the process and this is the last box to check to complete right correct okay i'm good with it pete uh no questions it's just been a long time in coming so the uh just for those who might be interested in the process the article was approved at town meeting to make the change this is an election this is basically a vote by the town to confirm that that change should be made and then as i understand it in the process the attorney general then needs to approve the charter change or is Already three step, hmm? They have already reviewed They've already approved it. it. So this vote will, in fact, constitute the final step in the process of officially changing the designation of the board. Right. And then you note that <coughs> I specified articles, which are the ones that deal with the select board and the town administrator, but refers a lot to the select board. Those are the ones that were specified. Mm -hmm. And then, as you know, terms are interspersed throughout. So there's the general authority. We have a bylaw in place already that authorizes the town clerk in conjunction with uh, the, the publisher town code, general code. They will then go through and do, make sure it's all correct reading throughout the entire charter. Okay. And this vote will take place when? Oh, our election is on March 27th at the Council of Aging Center. Polls open at 6 a.m. Close at 8 p.m. So this is our normal town election. This will be one more item on the ballot. Correct. So okay. it's the regular ballot with this question added. Okay. Any questions from the audience? All right. Uh, motion? I would move to approve the uh, placing of the charter amendment question on the ballot as indicated. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Thanks, Thank, you. Right. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. We have some viewer feedback. Everybody needs to pull their microphones uh, six inches closer. Nobody can hear. 
Oh, they missed, they missed some good stuff there. <laughs> I am. They are. All right. Okay. Uh, let's see. So, so some of you might think that this is the highlight, that last discussion was the highlight of the meeting, but it gets better. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, our second item, we have Com Commissioner Stady, Treasurer Bellotti, and William Buckley uh, from Norfolk County to make an ARPA presentation for the Hinkley Playground. And we have several members of the Hinkley Helpers here. So uh, this, could be, this could be the highlight of the night, but that's a... Depends, we'll see. Tough shoes to fill. Treasurer Bellotti's not with us this evening. Uh, Mr. Chairman, great to see you again, and members of the board. Um, I call you select boards, select men. We'll see <laughs> soon, but right now, it's, it's a please, pleasure to be here. Representing the Norfolk County Commissioners on behalf of Chairman Joseph Shea, uh, Peter Collins, and myself, uh, we're very happy to make this presentation tonight of the Opera Award to the uh, Hinkley Playground organization in your town. Uh, first, really quickly, a little background, if I may, uh, for those unfamiliar with Opera, <coughs> excuse me, stands for the American Rescue. <coughs> American Rescue Plan of Action. And uh, it was something that Congress instituted a couple of years ago. The purpose of it is to stimulate the economy, provide jobs, and provide su uh, support for local cities and towns. I'm very, very proud to say, and humble as well, but being a county commissioner in Norfolk, Norfolk County has given out more money than all the other counties. We're way ahead. And we've made it our purpose and our mission to make sure the money gets to those cities and towns. We're close to giving out $50 million so far of the 137 the federal government gave to us. Uh, so it's very, very, we're very active on it. We've got a great group of people uh, diligently reviewing our applications. I note for the record that Medfield would be, according to our formula, entitled to $2.4 million. We've given you 60000 I think, already for a PFAS grant. I think that was already given. Now tonight we're awarding you $250,000. That means you've got a lot more to go. So hopefully we'll be giving out more money and maybe I'll be back again with Treasurer Bellotti or somebody giving you more checks. In the meantime, I, uh, Bill Buckley's with me tonight, the Assistant Director. He did inform me that several of the applications that you have submitted are in the queue and they're under review. So you should at least know that. Uh, so again, in summary, um, pleasure to present this check I know it doesn't look like a real check, but trust me, the money's good. You know, it'll get into your bank account in the right way. Uh, we're presenting this $250,000 to the town of Medfield. It's actually under the category of uh, economic and community uh, development, which is one of the criteria. So congratulations. All right. Sure. Yep. Can we do a, a picture? Okay. All right, wonderful. You're welcome. My pleasure. Glad to help you out. Want me over there? I don't want to, I'm going to trip over that. There we go. See, five years ago, I'd jump over it with no problem. Those days are over. I thought you were going to say the check was good, but you have to be able to deposit it in your drive off ATM. In today's mobile world, you can just take a picture and it's good to go. Maybe you should scooch a chair. What do you want? Uh, what do you want? Yeah. Okay. Is that good? Just make sure you can see yeah. the amount. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Don't cover Ready? zero. One, two, three. And that's a whole bunch. All right, perfect. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Pleasure. You have to give him back the check. You can even come and use the equipment if you want. I'll help you take out. I'm coming to my room. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. Eileen Murphy. Thank you. Pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Scoot over here. There you go. What a fun job. <laughs> Giving out money. It's great. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank, thank you very much for coming. Thank you. Thank you. You know, as, as we're moving to the next topic, the, with ARPA and the various things we've gone through with COVID, it's sort of a pleasure to have something that's actually fun and uplifting and focused on the community is something that uh, coming out of this whole thing, I, I think this kind of a project or this kind of an effort is uh, by far the exception rather than the rule. And, and I'd point out it wouldn't have happened if there weren't some young, I think, I think they're all young mothers, but there's probably some fathers in town mm -hmm. that step forward to take the initiative on this. And that's uh, a, uh, it's, it's good to see that there's a lot of people in town that volunteer to do things and take the initiative. This is one case where it's pretty visible, and I think it's going to turn out to be really great. So. Yeah. And we have them lined up for the next committee. So. Yeah. <laughs> and and we, get, we did get almost a pre-approval from Commissioner Stady if we have more ideas, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> we may have had a meeting before this meeting. <laughs> Just a guess. Yeah. Okay, uh, the next item on the agenda is a request from Doug Pollard to set up Pollard's Texas Q at the Medfield State Hospital grounds from April 4th through June 10th. I think he may be participating remotely. Yep, I'm just okay. trying to put him right now. Okay. Good call. Where the hell's But this is long. Oh. But it's educational. It's very informative. Hello, good evening. Hi, Doug. Hey, Doug. Uh, sorry about the audio issues. No worries. Uh, yeah, so I was seeking uh, approval for April 4th through the 10th, if that's okay. Set up at the state hospital in the similar location that I was at before. So that, that's the location south of Hospital Road. Yep. It's like the top of hospital, the sledding hill? It's kind of the end. Yeah, the entrance at the top of the sledding hill. Yep. Okay. Uh, anything different about what you're planning to do this year from past years? No, no. Uh, I think a uh, few years ago when we did it, we uh, asked for approval for a beer garden uh, previously. And then uh, I think we had a, a band come up previously as well. Um, so those, I think, are just Okay. So to refresh myself, what we've done in the past, <clears throat> is it every day? Is it just weekends? What? I'm pretty sure it's 24-7, right, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost, yeah. We may roll in breakfast. We'll see. Oh, okay. Now we're talking. What, uh, d just for the record, what days are you contemplating each week and what hours? We're thinking uh, Wednesday through Saturday again and probably 11 a.m. to approximately 7 p.m. Uh, depending on the sunset. Questions? Um, uh, are we charging a fee? Is there a licensing fee that we're 
That's the next, that's probably one question. Pete usually brings that question. <laughs> Go to Pete. Yes, that's, my, that's always my question, Doug. How much are you going to pay us? <laughs> We're supposed to be renting the town facilities, not giving them away. Do we, uh, do we have a standard? For something like this, is there some standard? We don't have a standard. Uh, Brittany did some research, and uh, it looks to us, because this is not um, a nonprofit, this is not um, you know, a town event, we'd be looking at $100 a month um, for a licensing fee to use that property um, from April to June. That sound reasonable to you, Doug? Uh, I'm sorry, I missed that. But I think <laughs> it's something that Christine and I have already spoken about. But if you could just speak up, please. Doug, it would be $100 a month for April, May, and June. Um, would that be restricting any days? Or could I open Monday through Saturday? <laughs> I think that's up to the board. Yeah. No restriction. Okay with me. I don't, I don't. Oh, the more the merrier. So it would be unlimited days for $100 a month? Mm -hmm. Yep. And just for the record, Doug does pay a $150 fee to the Board of Health to have a 12-month uh, food truck license, um, and that is collected already by the Board of Health. And then he would, then Doug, you'd come back in if there were certain weekends or certain days that you wanted to have a, a beer and wine license, correct? You would have to. You have to pull one. You would need to pull one day licenses as needed for beer and wine. No, I'm sorry, I lost that. Yeah, the right now you've got a, a license for the food operation. If you were going to try to do a beer garden again or something involving beer and wine, you would have to come back. I think you already said you were going to do this, so I think we're we're good. But uh, if you did want beer and wine licenses, you'd have to do that and request it on a on a as day by day basis on any days that you'd want to do something like that. Yes, yes, of course. I would seek approval and then obviously anticipate a additional fee, or I would have the beer garden, you know, sponsor uh, provide that for the mm -hmm. town with permitting as well. Uh, but yeah, it, I just wouldn't go offhand and say, okay, the hundred dollars a month covers it. No, definitely we come back for approval. Okay. Okay. Good. Yep. Pete, you're good. I, I think that the uh, the fee is exceedingly modest, um, but if that's what Brittany found, I'm willing to go along with it. That's because the food we approve is good. Uh, all right. We have a motion to approve. So moved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. aye. Opposed? Well, Motion carries. I definitely am an eye on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I look forward to seeing you up there, Doug. I'm all there for it. All right, Doug, looks like you got some support in the audience here. For, uh... <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you all so much. I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Uh, next item is the Tri-County Regional Vocational Technical High School presenting an update on their school building project. And we have Jack Rose here who uh, offered to introduce everyone and get the discussion started. So thanks for coming, Jack. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you again for your time. Uh, for, for those of you who do not know me, I am the appointee from the town to the Tri-County School Committee. Each town has an appointee. Some have two, depends on the number of students. Uh, this process we've been going through since I've been on the board, probably six months, 
And they've been going through that another six months probably before that. Uh, uh, everything is, is very transparent. Please, if there are any further questions, I'd be glad to answer them offline or at a later date. But the, uh, the website, the school committee website, has all updates on the project, the school committee project, budgets, and anything else you may know. At this time, people who are a lot more eloquent than myself, I would like to introduce our superintendent for the schools, uh, Dr. Karen McGuire, and our business manager, Mr. Dan Haynes. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Hello, good evening. Um, I'm Karen McGuire from Tri-County. Uh, Tri-County Vocational Technical High School is located in Franklin for those who uh, need a little bit of a refresher on, on us. Uh, we're a community of 11 towns that make up Tri-County and Medfield is one of the 11 towns that make up our community. Uh, Tri-County also serves the students in the communities of Franklin, Medway, Millis, Norfolk, North Attleboro, Plainville, Seekonk, Sherburne, and Walpole and Rentham. So we have quite the distance of students that attend Tri-County. We refer to Seekonk as Hawaii because it's not geographically really connected to the rest of the towns. But um, back in the early 60s when the, the state divided up which towns would go to vocational schools, um, Seekonk ended up in the Tri-County community and, and has stayed there ever since. Uh, the Tri-County School Building how many of you have been to Tri-County, to the, to the building? Okay, all right. The, the Tri-County School Building was built in 1974, opened in 1977, and has served about 1,000 students a year all of that time. Um, we have 16 career vocational technical programs, everything from culinary arts to automotive to legal and protective, uh, computer information technology, and the list goes on and on. About um, four years ago or so, Tri-County was invited into the MSBA pipeline for a new school, new school building. And over the last year, uh, I was hired a year ago, over the last year we've done what's called the feasibility study uh, with the MSBA to determine what the best need is or what the best suitable uh, option is for our school community. Uh, we had to check the existing condi conditions of the buildings. At first we thought that we would be doing a renovation, a major renovation to the campus, but after the feasibility study concluded, it was determined that a new building as opposed to a renovated building would be the best option. Um, we now, in, in your packet, you have this, the, or on, on the table, there's some, some pieces of a slide deck that show an overview of what the community building looks like. Uh, Right now, it's a sort of a cylinder-shaped building in the middle with wings that come off of each side that ho host our vocational programs. The new model would be built in the back of the campus, a rectangle building that has the bottom floor for the high bay shops like automotive construction and so forth, with the academic classrooms across from it to do more collaborative um, programming. And then the upstairs would be comprised of the programs like health and um, our graphics programs, the ones that don't necessarily need the higher bays. Again, with that same with that, that same philosophy of the combined academics along with it. The way that a vocational school works, we have a uh, thousand kids at Tri-County. They are in academic classes as well as their vocational programs and they cycle in one week on their academic cycle and then another week on their vocational cycle and it continues in that fashion throughout the whole year. 
grade 9 students and 11, grade 11 students, are on that same cycle together where they would take academic classes on one week and vocational on the other. And grade 10 and 12 would be on the opposite week. Uh, we have all of the same academic classes that the comprehensive schools in our district have, AP courses included. Uh, and again, we service about 1,000 students a year from our 11 communities. Um, Dan, Dan's going to talk a little bit about the, the way that the project work, works at this point um, with the key dates that we have coming up and how, how it works for the, the folks in the town of Medfield along with our other communities in voting for the project. Uh, we'll, we'll shift here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I don't have any money to distribute. Yeah. <laughs> I'm quite sure I won't be the highlight of the evening. Um, so moving along through this feasibility process, um, we have a community presentation coming up. It's our fourth. Uh, if anybody can, here can make that, it's a, we have our experts, the OPM and our architect that, that describe the project in, 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 in a great deal of detail. So if anybody can come out for that, that's, we'd love to have you there. We will have our second town clerk's information breakfast um, to talk about the regional vote, and I'll talk about that a little further. Um, we're continuing our joint school committee and building committee meetings throughout the spring. Uh, our preliminary design um, is due to the MSBA board in late May, early June. Um, they will give us the go-ahead for that project in, in late August. Um, the regional uh, community vote, um, we've tentatively set, uh, set a date for October 24th, 2023. We need to secure that vote within 120 days of the MSBA granting us uh, the go-ahead in August. So this might be a little, uh, the process for the, for the election might be a little different than you used to. Um, our district agreement calls for a vote under Chapter 71, Section 16N. So the best way to look at this is this is going to be a, a community-wide vote of all 11 member communities. So let's treat everybody as one big community. We all come out to vote. Um, every vote counts, and it's a simple majority of all the people that come out to vote that day. Um, the voting time period has to be set. That, would, that is one of the reasons for the second town clerk's information breakfast. It's anywhere between four hours and eight hours, but that has to be um, settled. Um, it's the same ballot question in every town. Um, so everybody's voting on th the same thing. Um, the date, debt issue would be a 30-year bond. Um, debt repayment assessments um, are based on enrollment. Student enrollment, it's allocated uh, each year. And the, um, the assumed minimum, so in our DISC agreement, it has to be any, any town that has fewer than five students, it's assumed five for the building project allocation of debt. Um, you currently have six students. That's down two uh, from the prior uh, count. So that is really all I wanted to talk about in, as far as the process goes. So when we were examining the three costs, uh, the reason we, we opted to go with the, the board opted to go with the um, new building as opposed to do um, with the MSBA, of course, you know we do get the reimbursement. Uh, some of the some of the project costs reimbursed. Uh, we have a 52.8 percent reimbursement rate of eligible costs, uh, and that goes down to, you know, anywhere between 25 and 30 percent of costs, depending, uh, because again things are capped and 
uh, they do what's eligible and not, not everything is eligible, unfortunately. Uh, but the base renovation, if we were going to, to not do anything with the MSBA, if we were just going to repair the things in the building that need to be repaired, of course, as, as soon as you start doing something, you then have to bring the building up to code. And that's where we run into a situation where with plumbing of, and, and uh, sprinkler systems and all of that, that we would need to bring the building to code with the ADA compliance and so forth. But the base repair option without any MSBA reimbursement is 165 million would be the base uh, project. In addition, renovation, really which just the renovation to the building without addressing any instructional programming. Uh, the price was, and these are rough prices too, we don't have the exact price until later on in the spring, but these are what the MSBA calls the order of magnitude, so they'd be roughly in this ballpark. Uh, a renovation would, is 279 million. The innovation with re renovation with a repair option added to the back, a little bit more instructional space that would have given us, 282 million. And then a new construction on the same part of our property where our solar panels are uh, is 279 million. So again, you're at the same price as a renovation for a new building, but it gives us a 50 year usefulness of the building as opposed to having to go back again later to address areas that wouldn't have been renovated. Uh, we were surprised at that. I'm going to be honest about it. We, um, when the school committee hired me a year ago, they hired me because I have a background in renovating buildings with kids in them at the same time. It's it's what I've done. Uh, so so it was uh, what we thought we we would be looking at a tri county, but unfortunately, uh, with everything as it is now and trying to retrofit the building as it is in its stage two current uh, capacity. It just didn't make sense. So so there we are with it. Uh, again, you have five students, so six students, yeah. The, um, and that's, uh, the, yeah, the minimum would be five based on the regional agreement, so questions. So we've got six now. What's the, what, is there a maximum? I'm, I'm gonna pardon, I'm, I, I'm not as familiar with Tri-County, so is there a maximum a town can have? Are there? So we have a capacity of 1,000 students, so you would say about 250 per grade level. And the way the district agreement works is that each town is entitled to their percentage of the cohort. So, so if you look at all grade eight combined of all 11 communities, whatever percentage of those students are Medfield students, that's the number of students you would be entitled to at Southeastern's incoming ninth grade. Mm -hmm. Not all towns use their seats. Medfield's an example of that. Medfield does not use all of the seats that they are entitled to at Tri-County. So what happens with those additional seats is they go back into the general pool in a town like Walpole or Franklin or North Attleboro will scoop them up and use them. Yeah. What, what is our number that we're allocated? Um, so I, I'd have to go back and look to see what your current eighth grade is, whatever your eighth grade, um, and it would be that however many students in your eighth grade divided by our 250 incoming freshmen, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So say we have uh, 200 kids in the eighth grade. What would, what would we end up being eligible for then? So yeah, would have, I'd have to look at, I, I, I'd have to look at all 11 communities, what, their, what the cohort would be as a oh, percentage oh, of them. Our percentage of yeah, the whole Yeah, yeah, and, and okay. eighth grade, your eighth grade actually this year is a, not yours, but the whole community's eighth grade is a little bit of a dip compared to what it was last year. It's just this weird thing that happened last year in this area. I don't know, it was a baby boom, but uh, yeah. One of the things, uh, uh, 
you'd, you'd want to know when these costs start impacting the town. Yep. If you could yep. talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah, 2027. Um, we're, we're, the MSBA pipeline processes eight different steps. We're moving from step three to step four. Um, so we're out just trying to let people know where we are and give people the information about about what's going on. Uh, we anticipate, again, the, the vote for this project that go out to the community in October. And then if it passes, we would start the construction. And the first um, piece of, of any assessment to the town would be in 2027. In the vote, pardon me, is it, is it a town-wide vote so all residents in Medfield would have a say? Is it yep. the select board that votes? How does that work? So it goes right to the residents. Okay. It goes strictly right to the residents, which is different than Minuteman. So Minuteman, which is fairly close to here, theirs was a different process, and they had to go through the select boards and their town councils first. Uh, this vote is, in our agreement, is 16N, it's called. So it just goes on, on a ballot to all 11 communities at the same time. If you picture all 11 communities called the town of Tri-County, uh, it goes uh, to a vote to the residents at the same time on the same day uh, with that, just that one question. Do you approve the Tri-County building project in this amount? So all towns vote the same day in October? On the same day at the same time. So the other piece of this 16N is that it's a four to eight hour window where a lot of municipalities, it's a 12 hour vote or a 10 hour vote. They, they have restrictions that are, that are longer. Uh, this 16N legislation is written to cover a, a four to eight hour. The town clerks decide whether it's four to eight hours. Um, and it's not going to coincide with any of our other elections, the state election. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, an election unto itself. Wow. Yeah, Tri-County pays for it. Um, and then, again, we coordinate with the town clerks to make sure that everybody's, uh, you know, polling places and, and, and such are, are open. What sort of a turnout do you get at the elections? Uh, so Tri-County hasn't had one. Uh, it's oh. the first time in 50 years that we've, we've uh, but um, generally the regional, the regional elections have not had a, a very big turnout. Yeah, just speaking from other, other schools in the Commonwealth that have had an election like this. The, the, the turnout's relatively low. So we were hoping by having it in October rather than November, December, that it, it would yield a, a bigger turnout of, uh, of residents. It's too bad you can't just tack it onto the state election ballot and you'd get a, you'd get a decent turnout then. Yeah, yeah, so it's its, its own legislation that was written a long, long yeah. time ago. They didn't yeah. want to do that. Yeah. And then One of the things that was interesting that I, in the background material we had is this is an election that is for this one article you can't tack anything onto it. It's just a one single item, uh, which I found, I didn't know about the four to eight hours, so I was yeah. thinking of it as a normal election. It's like, gosh, we might, so a it's, town meeting article or two that we'd want to put on, but you can't do that. So as a, as a region, if we had an, something else we wanted to put on as Tri-County, because it's a district election, it's not a town election. Right, okay. so each town, each town asks us that. They, a lot of towns are asking about putting a debt exclusion question at that same time, but it's, it's not, you know, Medway's election, it's, it's Tri-Counties, so it's, right. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it's a little different, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot different, actually, yeah, a little. Okay. Well, it's an exciting process. As, I don't know if you're familiar, but Medfield went through the whole MSBA process back um, <clears throat> silver a year or so ago, so um, I, I, I wish you well on the whole venture here. Well, thank you. We'll be back once we know really better than order of magnitude uh, and a little bit more detail. But what we didn't want to do is just let it continue without communicating with the town. So we're out 
uh, talking to all of our 11 communities to just keep people up to date. So, and we would certainly encourage residents of Medfield to have your your seventh and eighth graders come to check us out. We have a lot mm -hmm. to offer, and uh, it's not too far away. So, so I had a couple questions. Okay. Uh, Prefaced by a, a thank you, I as a native, as someone who grew up in Seacock in all my entire life, I've never heard the town described as Hawaii until tonight, and I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to tell some classmate, high school classmates of mine that story because they'll get a big kick out of it as well. But uh, I've never quite looked at my hometown that way before, but I'm going to start trying to. Um, I had I had just these are just informational questions. The and the four options that you had, the one that was the uh, second edition reno, that was 320,000 square feet. Where the this one, the existing building and the replacement building are 265,000. I was just wondering, d does the school need? I was trying to understand whether that was a need for new footage, square footage, or whether it was just a configuration. Issue. So the the um, new construction is a, is actually smaller space because some of the vocational programs that we have right now are very very large. They're larger okay. capacity than we actually need. God bless you. Than than we actually need for, okay. and and where we're reimbursed by the MSBA per square foot. Uh, we're very uh, frugal in those spaces in order to make sure that they comply with what the Department of Ed requires for safe space for vocational programs. Mm -hmm. there, uh, OSHA dictates a, a, a bit of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also want to make sure that we're getting reimbursed for as much as we can. Okay. So we're certainly not going to be uh, you know, overly, um, overly planning with the space. Yeah. Just real quickly, that's one of the reasons why we decided on new. We had an option of three, we talked to it out, whatever. Because of the smaller square footage on the new footprint, that brought the cost down and it made more comparable to renovation, uh, mm. renovation and addition. Mm. So it was a no-brainer for us, okay. especially when you remodel, you don't know what else you're going to get into. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a no-brainer for us on the committee to vote that way. Okay. My next question might not even be a fair question. You might not be able to answer it. The uh, cost of this somewhere 265 million or something or 280 million, I'm doing some really cr crude math. If MSBA is 25 to 30%, I'm kind of saying, well, that's around 200 million is what the, the participating towns would uh, participate in. I'm not trying to hold you to a hard number, but for people listening in, trying to get their arms around this, recognizing that our town has relatively low enrollment, is it fair for me to ask for a ballpark of what the burden might be that this town would? Yeah, he's uh, the he's the crude math guy. Okay. I'll let him go. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> <Yeah>. So yeah. <laughs> over the 30 years, it would be under $80,000 based on these numbers we're looking at right now. Okay. And that's a 4.25% estimate of an interest rate. So that'd yeah, be 80,000 80, a year over a 30 year period is what you're saying. Okay. So our share is, is four point some percent of the whole? Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Um, and I had one other question, what was it? <sighs> I forget. Never mind. <laughs> okay. I, I had a couple. Remember. Yeah, make a note because we'll be back again. Okay. Yeah. I, I had a couple questions. Um, what are you going to do with the old building? Is there any practical use for that? It seems a shame to just tear it down. But yeah, at this point, that that is what we have decided to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I can probably answer that a little more. We looked at that also. We looked at the total uh, 
total site and how to develop that. And what we're doing now is we're taking a lot of parking spaces and we're taking uh, various parts of the site. Uh, we're reorganizing the athletic fields and everything else. So that space, we need that space for parking, athletic fields, yep. expansion, okay. and that type of thing. Yep. So that's what we're going to do. One of the questions came up in our community meetings was, uh, 50 years from now, do you have plans for expansion? Which is kind of a crazy question. And I said, yeah, we're going to build where the existing building is now. See, so <laughs> it's, uh, there's no, it's a, it's a big site, but it's not in the big picture. Mm -hmm. but so we, yeah. we need every inch we can get. And as much yep. as we can take out of the current building, you know, a lot of our, uh, the building, the capacity, the, the, the structure is old, but a lot of our equipment is not. So as much as we can, we're, you know, taking and would be moving over most of our vocational equipment, uh, anything from the inside that we can use, we would, we would reuse. We're even, to tell you the truth, there's some talk about the outside of the building, that brick facade, that's stucco facade to sell chunks of it off to alumni just mm. as a fundraiser you know <laughs> but uh, because it certainly has season. had yeah yeah so we have some great fundraiser people right here in the front row <laughs> yeah so it was yeah you know buy a piece of tri-county you know a little hunk of the wall so yeah, there there's some different things, and but yeah, we, we agree. Yeah, we just uh, and we really thought we were talking about a renovation. To yeah. tell you, the I truth. think you should sell off I beams. Yeah, the beams. <laughs> yeah, the um and and we did as part of because we're a vocational school, we did use this as a lesson with the kids and taught them about the process as we were going through it, and then at the end had the kids vote, which which did they. And you'd be surprised at the number of students who voted for keeping the Tri-County building as it is, mm -hmm. just for tradition. Yeah, that's and what they know. So, yeah, mm -hmm. so that was really interesting to us, yeah. So I really like the idea of vocational education, and I'm curious as to what happens to your students after they graduate. What percent go to college? What percent go to work? So we, we have a probably, I'd say, about 40% uh, to college rate. Um, but the students that do go to college will go in their vocational area for the most part, and they stay, they stay connected to it. Um, we have a very, very high uh, school-to-work rate. In fact, we have more, right now particularly, more employers than we do students for mm -hmm. our 12th grade. We just ran our 12th grade co-op numbers. The students in grade 12 have the opportunity to go out to work rather than come in for their vocational program. And uh, two-thirds of the class right now are out on co-op, which, which is a very uh, good program. They get paid uh, rather, than, rather than come in. So you so. guys run a co-op program like Northeastern then? So we do. We run a co-op program That's for great. our grade 12 students. And then uh, grade 11 students at the very end of their grade 11, they have the opportunity to go if they're in uh, good academic, you know, with the high, higher grades and so forth. But what forth, I so. remember reading, which really impressed me, was that the kids that came out of the vocational technical schools came out with very high-paying jobs. Yeah. And they were doing very well, so. Yeah, so it definitely is a, um, the best-kept secret, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, three of the in-town plumbing contractors hire uh, co-op students. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, mm -hmm. She has a list of, I checked the list on the employees, on the employers, and what students they have and what uh, sections they are. So they're, they're very well utilized. And as you know, especially with the freeze-ups, 
a plumber can get a pretty good uh, day's pay. <laughs> <laughs> Says the plumber. So, yeah. so I'm an attorney, and, and my favorite attorney joke is actually a plumbing joke. It? And it's the attorney who had the plumber fix something for him, and the plumber gave him the bill, and the attorney said to him, wow, I don't even charge this much per hour. And the plumber said, yeah, I didn't either when I was a, an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> but um, bum. <laughs> Mark, did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> And I remembered my question. Okay. Uh, in the information packet we had, there was a copy of, I think, pending legislation yes. okay. uh, that, if I, if I read it right, uh, is asking for the money that would the t state anticipates coming in from the millionaire's tax to be used to, to, as additional uh, compensation or, or reimbursement for schools. And it was, I was a little shocked to see it said the range was a minimum of 75% of cost up to not more than 90%. So that, if that went through, this, this whole thing would look a lot different. Yes. Uh, so there, there is, um, so, so I work with this organization, Mass Association of Vocational Administrators. Uh, Tri-County is one of nine schools that is in the MSBA pipeline right now. Uh, there are 26 regional vocational schools in the Commonwealth, and only two have been rebuilt. Uh, the MSBA has a template for how to, how to address uh, uh, elementary schools, how to address comprehensive schools that are nine, uh, 6 through 12, and then a template for, for high schools. But they don't have one for Votex. Uh, Votex are vocational technical schools are reimbursed at the same rate as an elementary school, but the cost to build them is woefully uh, much, much, you know, it's just woefully inadequate, the, the reimbursement rate, really, for what, for what uh, the needs are for, for the VOTEC schools. Um, we worked last year with some legislation, made it through the House, made it through the Senate, made it through committee, made it through Ways and Means, and then everybody went home for the summer. So we, uh, and then we had the new election, of course, so we refiled some of that same legislation. And one piece of it is to increase the MSBA Board of Directors by two positions, both positions of vo vocational people, so that when they're making the decisions about reimbursement rates, that the conversation includes the VOTEC schools. That's one piece. Another piece is new this year, which is with the millionaire's tax, is uh, allocating $3 billion from the millionaire's tax to vocational school building projects. And that's meant to offset the cost to those nine schools that are in the pipeline right now, which impact 100, 119 communities. Uh, so so those, are, those are just two pieces of the legislation. And then the third piece is addressing the actual MSBA reimbursement, where we're at 52.8%, percent sorry, uh, right now. But, but, but again, the reimbursement is capped, and, it, and, and, it, and it's only for allowable expenses, allowable costs. This legislation is asking to broaden that for Votech schools to 70 to 90 percent, depending on the, on the town. So there are some things, and we do have uh, some, some um, of our folks that in this area that have signed on to that legislation, which we're, which we're happy about. It was filed by uh, Representative Scanlon from North Attleboro and uh, Senator Feeney, also from North Attleboro. But it's gained some momentum statewide, and we've got people from way out in the western part of the state all the way up to the northern, northeastern part that have signed on as co-sponsors. So, so we do hope. I'll send it. Uh, uh, you have it. We, yeah, uh, so. we did. Yeah, it was in the it was in our agenda packet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we spoke about that last week. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we're trying to do what we can to to get some uh, recognition of these projects. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Very good. Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? I think. Thank you very much for coming. This is great. All right. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Yeah. We'll see you uh, in a few months. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much. Okay. Uh, next, we have Sarah Raposa, town planner, to request funding from the board. I wrote on my own thing, finding from the uh, Board of Selectmen that the project proposed by Trinity Financial LLC meets the affordability requirements under Medfield Zoning Bylaw 300-20.10.C. Good evening, Sarah Raposa, Town Planner. Um, I put at your desks tonight a copy of the finding because I realized after looking at your packet online today that that may not have been um, part of the packet, um, but you got all of the attachments that justify the finding. So I'm just going to walk through that. I'm referring to it as um, an affordability finding as part of the Trinity permitting process as required by Medfield Zoning Bylaw Section 300-20-10-C, which is titled Administri Administering Agency Review. And it states that prior to the granting of any plan approval for a proposed project, the applicant must demonstrate to the satisfaction of the administering agency, if applicable, the following. The method by which affordable rents or affordable purchase prices, in this case rents, will be computed and eligible households will be selected are consistent with the provisions of the state hospital section um, 20.6 that the proposed affordable housing restrictions meet the requirements of 20.6 and that the proposed project otherwise complies with the provisions of 20.6. Upon making this finding, the administering agency shall submit in writing to the plan approval authority notice that the affordability components of the proposed project are consistent with the provisions of 20.6. So you, the Board of Selectmen, are the um, administering agency. The plan approval authority is the planning board. Um, you, as the administering agency, um, can make the finding or you can designate somebody to make the finding. Um, but I'm here tonight to present um, the information to you. As I said, Trinity submitted the required documentation um, that was part of your packet and um, the following proposed language um, was reviewed and approved by Special Counsel Lisa Mead. Uh, the project consists of 334 rental units and includes the development of 85 affordable rental apartments for eligible households earning up to 80% area median income. The project involves a mix of apartments, studio, one-bedroom, two-bedroom, and three-bedroom units. As specified in the DHCD guidelines, rents for each affordable unit will be calculated so that each eligible household spends no more than 30% of income on rent and utilities. The affordable units will be interspersed throughout the existing rental uh, residential buildings on the property, which will be comparable in construction quality equivalent to that of the market rate housing and will have equivalent exteriors to that of the market rate housing. 
The applicant will be seeking approval from DHCD to allow for the affordable artist housing to be purposefully located near Belford Art Center to encourage collaboration and educational opportunities. The total Sarah, Sarah, I'm going to oh. ask you to move the microphone closer. We got one note that said, you're, they, for whatever reason, you're not coming through it's as clearly. Not, it's not, Sarah. We're having oh. a problem with Medfield TV. Oh, so. no, I'm sorry. Okay. okay. Um, so I'll just still talk closer to the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but I just have one more um, one more sentence and then the conclusion the total number of bedrooms of affordable housing will be proportionate to the total number of bedrooms in all of the units proposed within the project the submitted information supports the finding that the application is consistent with the requirements of zoning bylaws section 320.10.c so that's the essence of the request tonight. As part of the packet, you got a copy of the affirm the draft affirmative fair housing marketing plan. Um, the there should be two um, regulatory agreements. One was for the general uh, affordable units, and then there was a specific one for um, the artist units, which I actually think maybe I didn't put in your packet, and then some supplemental required information um, from the, the bylaw. Um, I know you had a chance to watch Trinity's presentation last night, so you got a primer on this last night. Um, and just for background, I did ask the Affordable Housing Trust if they could make a recommendation for you to uh, make your finding, but in the interim, I also found out that Lisa Mead was on board and she was able to sort of expedite her review of the information. So while I presented the information to the Affordable Housing Trust, um, they did not make a recommendation just due to time. So I do have a question. Based on the meeting last night and this conversation about, um, I think it was 80% of the affordables would be offered to Medfield residents. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, there's a 70% a of the units are eligible for local preference. And that's something that we always exercise as an option um, when the units are available for rental. And that's a that's just the first wave. And then after that goes, when those people, if they're Medfield resident, move out, that next person is not deeded to be Medfield. It could be anyone from the surrounding area. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Is there a reason why they do that, why they don't, again, try to keep people, keep keep the Medfield resident population as high as it can be without diluting it with after, after that first wave moves on? I have. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, yeah, the fact is that uh, unlike the ownership program, rentals, the uh, tenants have to be certified annually. So there could be a fair amount of turnover, and it just would break down probably as a process. Okay. Okay. So it's not intentional. It's just the limitation within the system. Okay. Thank you. I was actually thinking it probably would have been intentional as far as, you know, the traditional 40B is often contentious within a community. So making a local preference process might be a carrot um, with, the, with the process, and then after that it's, um, you know, 
and, and then by yeah, talking, this, this is strictly just rent tonight. So this is anything to do with anything else in the property, the parking, nothing. If we agree to That's this tonight, it's strictly rental. Okay. Yes, yeah, so it's just the ability to move forward with that portion of the project. And as you could tell, having inclusionary zoning first on last night's um, agenda uh, was a little pet project of mine personally. So this is the affordable components very important to me. Good. Yeah. So um, it struck me that we're that it's all compliant, but since we have experts that are reviewing it, what do they say? Um, Lisa Meads, you know, the um, planning board next planning board meeting isn't until uh, March sixth. Um, oh, you can um, defer to um, even the Affordable Housing Trust making their finding at their next meeting in early March. You can um, create a designee. There's options. <laughs> so I guess given those choices, my suggestion would be that we do defer to the Affordable Housing Trust since they tend to deal with this stuff more than we do and let them feed information back to us. I mean, I don't, it strikes me that it's pretty clear, but I think that's inclusive of them and, and mm -hmm. their expertise. Well, considering I'm on the Affordable Housing Trust, <laughs> I'm going to let you guys defer that because I can certainly come back with it. <laughs> That's right. So I'm neutral on, on waiting. I, I would just one point of clarification. I think I'm probably clarifying something that nobody is confused about, but the local preference has to do with the affordable units, yes. not all 334 units, just to be clear. This, I, I actually correct. honestly think this development is going to turn into a pretty popular rental property that I wouldn't be surprised is drawing people from across mm -hmm. at least eastern Massachusetts, if not the state. Mm -hmm. uh, I happened to be up at the hospital two weekends ago, and there was this lady picking up dog poop in the north field, and I, I had to go over and, you know, recognize her for being a good citizen. And then I learned that she wasn't even a Medfield citizen. She was there from Holliston. Uh, and her view was, if we don't pick this stuff up, the selectmen are going to sit there and shut all, close this off to dogs, <laughs> at which time I identified myself as a selectman <laughs> and, and confirmed that I really appreciated she was doing the job she was doing. But when I, and I gave her a little briefing on, the, on, the, on the, what was going on with the development, and she said, gosh, when this thing comes up, I've got to, this is a beautiful place. I've got to really look in it. So I think, uh, so local preferences are for affordable. My guess is that I would be surprised if the demand for these is not pretty high once this thing goes through, assuming it goes through and as we've envisioned. And there's different um, uh, elements of local preference. You know, it's your live here, work here, have family here, um, have a, a relationship with the community. Mm -hmm. So to the point of whether we're going to vote tonight or defer, Sarah, it sounds like there's no practical process reason why you need to get our finding tonight. Nope. Uh, for, for me personally, I also think there's no particular reason for us not to give you the finding tonight, but I'm more than happy to wait until, I, I can see how it might be more appropriate to have the Affordable Housing Trust tell us as much as we enjoy going through volumes of legal documents <laughs> to make sure and look for small errors, probably would be better, I would guess, is that yeah, I, I, no I, I actually that? love having multiple boards involved in the process anyway, so that's Depends which boards they are, but sure. I love them all. <laughs> <laughs> but the Affordable Housing Trust does kind of tug your heart. In the <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think okay. I'm hearing at least a, a mild tilt to the direction that we'll defer on this without prejudice. Sure. Uh, okay. And uh, just wait to hear 
from the Affordable Housing Trust to make sure they've gone through all the details. Okay. We could probably designate Eileen to be the one to report back to us on the Affordable Housing Trust satisfaction. Well, you could get Mike Marcucci to come back. I know yeah, he misses this. Could you? Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. Sure. Right. Thank Thanks, you, Sarah. That's Mike great. Uh, thank you. <laughs> ha! Scooting out the side door. Oh, jeez. Oh, We're using it as a prop for that wire. Better not touch it. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> okay, next we have Parks and Recreation semi-annual update by Katie Walper, the Director of Parks and Recreation, Mel Seabolt, Chair of the Parks and Recreation Commission. Welcome, Katie. I think Welcome, this is Katie. your first... Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, Mel Seabolt, Medfield Parks and Recreation Commission. Um, last fall, the Parks and Rec Commission, as well as uh, the town administrator and the human resource director, were uh, uh, conducting a rather um, extensive search for a new Parks and Recreation director. Uh, on December 13th um, of 2022, the Parks and Recreation Commission voted unanimously to approve uh, Katie Walper as our, uh, our new director. Um, we, we do hope, we do hope also, at least I hope, that this may be one of the highlights of tonight's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the commission was extremely uh, impressed with her background and work history. Uh, as an assistant director of recreation in Norwood, Katie was at the forefront of uh, the administration of all aspects of uh, recreation, best practices, staffing, grants, programming, uh, facilities and field management and as far as our uh, as as we've gotten to know Katie um, you know we're we're clear and confident that uh, going forward um, Katie is going to be leading our our department to even greater uh, levels of success so uh, with that said our new director <laughs> Thank you, uh, Mel, and our Board of Selectmen. Thank you for having me. Um, so I've been here for 28 days, and it <laughs> has been a um, great opportunity. I'm excited to be part of Medfield. I live in Norwood, so it's nice to get out of where I live as well. Um, I served the community for seven years. Um, I have a background, a lot of event planning, so I'm excited that your support with Hinkley um, Playground, uh, only having two playgrounds, I think it in a recreation world shows um, a lot of support from a town administration as well as our board because we think we're the most important department, and but we also want to make sure that we have playgrounds um, that are safe for our kids, but also that's eye appealing. We want to be a destination spot. Um, I look forward uh, to programming as well as our field. Um, Brian and Jackie are great assets to our team. Although I'm the director, we are a team. Um, we look forward to expanding our, we're doing a half day program if anyone would like to come skiing tomorrow with our middle schoolers. Um, but also looking at different things and working with the commission. Um, making sure that our policies and procedures um, are a little bit more clean cut so that way our families, we had our first camp meeting tonight for transparency. Um, we do have some changes that need to be made, but we think that it's gonna be um, for the better of our department. So I look forward to working here and hopefully serving the community um, for longer than what I did in Norwood. Um, and if you guys ever need anything, I am one email away or one phone call, um, but I do appreciate the support. Um, coming into day 28, 
1998 and being presented a check of $250,000. That is making me look really great for day 28. So we set the bar high. Um, but I thank you uh, for your support, and I look forward to working with you guys in the future. Great. Thank you. Questions, comments? Well, comments, I've got friends in Norwood, and they're very jealous that, that, you're, <laughs> that you, they're like, oh, you took Katie from us. Yeah. So, uh, so welcome. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on board. Uh, I've heard uh, from folks that have had the opportunity to already engage with you. They're thrilled that your enthusiasm, your energy, all your new ideas. You know, that's the greatest thing about bringing somebody new on board is that you can bring new ideas and you've seen things work in other towns. So uh, I'm excited to see what the summer of 2023 has in store and um, just welcome and thank you. Thank you. I'm just very excited, too, to have you working with us in Medfield, so just welcome. Thank you for coming. Delighted to have you here as well, Katie. I have one question. Mm -hmm. Where are these kids going skiing tomorrow? <laughs> what, uh, Neshoba, Neshoba, and they were right. blowing snow all weekend with a negative 11 degrees, so yes. we're actually going to have five hills tomorrow. That's Mountains. great. All right. <laughs> that's a sold out program, right? I mean, that's that that yeah, filled so up quick. We do run our Thursday programming. Um, so we have two weeks left of that. But we decided we heard um, for those it did sell out quickly. And so we had a lot of people on the wait list. So creating opportunities for those families who didn't have the opportunity to do the six week program. We're running some half day programs so that they get the best of both worlds. Unfortunately, they weren't able to get into the program, mm -hmm. but offering something that they can still get to go skiing. That's good. That's excellent. We were up at Waterville a week ago last Monday, yeah. and there's all these little kids there, and we were sitting there going, "How do how do these kids get out of school?" They were with, they were with family, so they weren't. But they were just looking for the angles here on how to how to. <laughs> we're half day tomorrow in Medfield, so if you get very good, thank you very much, Katie. Thank you all right, thank take you. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Katie. <laughs> All right, our next item is the Medfield Energy Committee members to discuss the cap, their capital budget requests. I think as you're all coming forward here, I think we have sort of a, there's a three-part framework in my head at least, Hilly. Uh, TomCap is the big picture, how we get to where we're gonna get by 2050. I think we're gonna have a workshop with the Energy Committee to kind of get to some concrete specifics around what the capital project should be over the next three to five years. But this, I think, is capital projects for FY24. Have I got that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, okay. you know, following up on that, my understanding after consulting with Christine is that this workshop is probably going to happen after town meeting. Is that correct? I think after town meeting. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, that, uh, whatever fits everybody. So uh, thank you for having us. And this is really a follow-up to our presentation in December where we sort of laid out our thinking about the requests that we were going to make and, and the, the identify the needs. And I think today we're going to put down some hard numbers. And I just want to point out that um, sort of we feel that there was a little bit of confusion about sort of the, the, the terminology and what practices, best practices are. Um, so I hope that we can clear some of that up today as well. Okay. And I'm gonna, oh yeah, so. Turn it to me, I guess. Turn it to you because, <laughs> you know, he's pulling up the. Uh, I'm the PowerPoint guy, I guess. <laughs> All right. So um, this is sort of a follow on to December. So um, if you can go to the next slide, whoever's driving. Uh, yes, sir, I'm just trying yeah. to see. Screenshot. I know. No pressure. <laughs> All right. So as Gus said, the focus is on FY24 here. 
So this is just a snapshot of what we showed in December. So the idea was to get two for capital two years in advance of school projects so we can do the design work. Uh, work on EVs so that's engage on, you know, buy electric when you can. And then we touch base briefly on solar. So if you go to the next one, now we're going to change to 2024. Uh, the idea here is look through it and see from a policy perspective, how do we instantiate this that says there's a project in 2025, we need money, well, 2026, we need money in 2024 to look at various options. So, you know, how do we bake it in so that just happens without people pushing on it, right? And the idea of these engineering studies versus, say, what RISE can do when they come in to do or not, they can do sort of a, doesn't cost anything, but it's a very cursory sort of high level, maybe rough sizing, but you can't get down to the detail you need to pick options costs, can I apply for grants, can I get rebates, and so forth. So the sort of idea of why do engineering work is to sort of go to that next level down in detail. So versus, you know, to, you get what you pay for with RISE, right? It's free, but that's it. So it's ne next layer down. Yeah. The other thing we found is you'll see on the next one is Eversource. Whoops. Oh, it's on there, but. It's on there. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sorry, so, so Eversource will be able to uh, front half or match ha uh, half of the cost of the engineering studies. Yeah. Uh, so that cost cut, cut our requests in half as well. Yeah. So they'll match dollar for dollar, um, working through details. But that's the idea of why invest in it um, at all. So. Now you translate following that sort of methodology of you know projects in T zero we're at T minus two for doing the engineering work. So we can look. I, can I interrupt just on, yeah. the, on the around the engineering study? Is there a? a I'm, I'm maybe I'm thinking about this the wrong way, but when we talk building projects, I'm thinking some projects like replacing a boy maybe I'm wrong about this wow. but say replacing a major piece of equipment with a better piece of equipment uh, doesn't seem like it would require an engineering study or if it does it would be a it would be a cursory I mean we, we managed to replace our furnace at home and we didn't do any engineering studies we just took a look at a product and said this was better like we hired like, right? so I'm, I'm just so, trying to understand what what fits into this needing this formal process. Maybe everything does. I just yeah. don't know why. Hi, Gus. Hi. Most of you know me. Jim Nail, 97 Hartford Street, and I am the lead for the building pillar of the uh, Medfield Energy Committee. Um, as you can, I think, understand, going from a fossil fuel boiler or furnace to a heat pump, it's very different kind of equipment. So there are different things to think about and, quite frankly, different uh, options you have when you go to electric uh, technology. Um, and yes, if you're, if you're just replacing an existing fossil fuel boiler with a similar fossil fuel boiler, you can get away with not doing an engineering study. Residential is also very different than commercial, of course. Um, however, I've got a 29-year-old oil boiler I'm getting ready to replace. I'm doing the residential scale equivalent of an engineering study that's called a manual J, which will tell me exactly how much uh, uh, heat my house is going to need based on the amount of insulation, based on the windows, based on the orientation and how much heat from the sun it gets, all these very technical factors. At a commercial scale, obviously, a bigger building, there's many more of those kinds of factors 
to consider. Um, one of Can I interrupt again? Yeah, <laughs> this, sure. This could be an interactive, right? Yeah. No, of course. I, let's stick with your house for a minute. I don't understand how going from the, the, the furnace you have right now to the heat pump changes how your house performs that would require that. Are you doing other let things me, let, besides in conjunction with it? Let, let me give you another example of a replacement I did very recently. Okay. Uh, the air conditioning unit for my second floor died a few years ago. Um, I called up five HVAC contractors to come in. Um, I took them all up to my attic, which I had spray foam insulated. And you know, the existing unit that had died was a five-ton unit. I said, I've got 10 inches of spray foam. I've got about an R50 in the attic. I probably don't need five tons. Tell me how much I need. Mm-hmm. Five contractors, three of them said five tons, because that's what you have. Mm-hmm. One of them looked at my duct work, did a little back of the envelope calculation. Well, your ducts are only delivering four tons, so I'll give you four tons. One contractor said, do you have a set of blueprints I can borrow for a week? They did this manual J calculation. They said, three tons is fine. Mm-hmm. So not only does that save me in, in mm-hmm. the cost of the equipment, but oversized equipment is less efficient. Mm-hmm. So it's, okay. it's, it's better for operating. And again, now blow okay. that up to a building that maybe has 15, yeah. 20, yeah. 30 tons of equipment, and you maybe only need 20 tons instead of 30 tons, there's, there's a lot more savings there. And then the difference between the feasibility study and the engineering study, I think I'll use the chiller here as an example. Um, in one of the prior um, projects, I think when we were looking at insulation in the attic here, the contractor there looked at the chiller and said, hmm, I wonder if we could drop a heat pump chiller in here instead of you know, this traditional chiller. Okay, sort of stayed there for a little while. So what RISE did when they were here last week they were crawling all over the building, and what they're trying to get a sense of is, is that solution going to work, or are there particular characteristics of this building or of this heating system that for some reason would not make that work, mm-hmm. or it would be so expensive to install that and change different aspects of the building, the, the ductwork, the other distribution mm-hmm. systems. Okay. And then when we see that report, we'll see, okay, do we think that is a reasonable cost? And if we say, yeah, we think that's doable, we go to the engineering study, which specifies exactly what the heating requirements will be, uh, equipment specifications, any of the uh, descriptions of any of the changes that may need to be made, et cetera, et cetera, that then becomes the scope of work we put in RFP for contractors to bid on. Thanks. So that's kind of the, okay. the process. Does that make sense? And grants. Yeah. Right. Yeah, which we... I just forwarded you one. The EPA just announced a carbon pollution reduction grant. Um, they have announced it. They have not issued the application guidelines yet. This is just a, hey, guys, this is coming. Stay tuned. Um, and there will be uh, two levels uh, in that program that they've described. One is grants for feasibility and engineering studies, and then one for the actual installation. And details on that, I think they said, are going to come in probably March, April. So, great. Okay. The sooner we get in line, the better a chance we have for that money. <laughs> so, so that's the rationale. This is now sort of we looked through the five-year and twenty-year capital programs and worked with Christine and identified three potential candidates to apply that. So the first you can read the first two is the high school and the townhouse, right? So, mm-hmm. 
uh, the fifth, it would be $15,000 per each one of those out-of-pocket matched equivalent by Eversource to do that study for those. So those are sort of must-haves. Those projects will go forward in the next year or two, as far as we can tell. So now would be the time to do that study work. And then the third potential candidate is something that's slated for 2030 at Memorial. But would it make sense, as Jim said, to look in advance, be proactive about it, and say, we can implement something in 2027 that makes an economic payback. So those are the three sort of short-term. You know, the well, first two are sort of must-dos now. The third one would be if we want to be proactive. To what take is the a look third one? Supplemental HVAC. You should just stay up here. Yeah, I guess I should just stay up here. Um, I'm glad you asked that, Pete. Um, th this is, is kind of an odd story how this came about because we first went over to Memorial um, with uh, Eversource back in December, I think it was, and we were really looking at the pumps for the boiler. And could we swap out those traditional pumps for what are called variable frequency drives, which I won't get into, but they're more efficient. While we were there, um, Fran Boucher from Eversource was talking about a project he was currently working on at a school in Halifax where they're installing what's called an energy recovery ventilator. Um, what that does is as it's exhausting you know, stale air from inside a building, mm. that goes through the heat exchanger and extracts some of that heat to warm the incoming air, and therefore the boiler doesn't have to work as much. You're not burning as much fuel. And he was going, hmm, I think that might work here. Let's take a look at that. So that's when they proposed doing that, doing that study. And since that boiler is not uh, scheduled to be replaced, at least in the existing 20-year facilities plan, maybe the new plan will come to a different conclusion, but since it's not scheduled to be replaced until 2030, if we make that investment now, Fran threw a top-of-the-number, you know, top-of-the-head number off that, gee, this could save maybe 30, 40 percent of the fuel costs. Wow. Um, so uh, if that's the case, which again, the feasibility study will get us a little closer to that number, um, that could be a worthwhile investment <coughs> for the next you know, seven years to make that system more efficient. And then when we do swap out to something else, um, since we will have lowered the amount of heat needed for the building, the new equipment, whether it's electric, whether it's whatever it is, will be smaller as well. So I, th you know, I, I think it's a really good um, thing to look at. Um, the other thing that came up, which is another reason to be looking at this multiple years in, in advance, is these ventilation units at Memorial go through the roof. And so if you replace those, you've got to pull that existing unit out, put the new unit in, and then do some roof repair. But that roof is due to be replaced soon anyway. So by knowing ahead of time we want to do that, if we do both at once, that will be obviously more efficient, more cost-effective uh, way to manage that process. So the thought on this was to pick two that are sort of must-dos, a third one, as Jim said, that's more proactive. And if you can look, it's roughly $15,000 per, so um, it's not fifty or $60,000 per. So that was... Of which... It looks like 10,000 is avoided in 2025, yeah, so in terms of yeah, incremental. It's hard to get exactly right, of what's in right. there, but there are some pull-aheads in there as well versus net new. Okay. Questions? 
And, and the first two, Paul, are must-dos because the boilers are at end of life? No, we looked at, there's going to be a project that's going to have, a, a build project in 25 or 6. So if you want to do the engineering work, you would do it next year in advance of those. Back on our, do the engineering two years before you actually do the project kind of methodology okay. yep. we're talking yep. about. And, and again, that timing is a lot driven by what is in the 20-year facilities plan. Um, that's, we've been looking at that as the, okay, there's you know, this in a plan, um, as we've seen, sorry, um, as we've seen like at Blake, uh, I think it was actually due in 2025, 2026 too, but those, boiler, those boilers died and had to be done early. Um, so we're going from that as our starting point to say, hey, it looks like this project's coming up, um, let's be more proactive because um, I know that's kind of the whole point of that plan is to get out of reactive, let's replace stuff in a panic when it breaks mode and get ahead of some of these things. And, and the decision on the Blake boiler, boiler I think was that it, it still made sense to go with a gas one, a high efficiency gas rather than a heat pump there. We didn't have time to do the engineering study to oh, know, so how, we don't to, know. <laughs> how to we successfully yeah. implement yeah. a heat pump in it. Yeah, I just want to point out that uh, under Massachusetts public construction law, if you trigger a certain dollar amount, I don't know what the amounts are off the top of my head, I just haven't looked at it, but you're required to have a designer, either an architect or an engineer, on the project anyway. Even like roof projects, it would seem, you know, your, your reaction would be you ought to be able to just get a roofer in and replace it. No, if the dollar amount's a certain amount, you have to have an architect or an engineering firm involved anyway, so it just simply makes sense to coordinate if you're going to look at this stuff as part of that whole process. Mm -hmm. The facilities department, school department, and the town is aware of that. Other comments? And so let me let me paint the picture. I think I understand here. Um, we have three three proposed projects for this upcoming fiscal year with the I guess the third one is the the, the added either you could or couldn't do it that's I get that the each one is asking for fifteen thousand dollars to do these preliminary studies uh, one of them at least it looks like has 10k that was programmed for a year from now anyway so in essence out of that 45,000 10,000 is Maybe being you're asking to pull ten thousand of that forward, but it's a net increase of thirty five thousand. The third item, if we needed to, could be pushed out a year, uh, given that it says the system replacement. I, I understand the argument. Well, gee, if this is good, maybe we should do it early. But I'm also sensitive to the budget pressures that Absolutely. right now we have. The town and schools are. This is actually improvement. Usually. Usually in the month of February, the town and school budget is about $1.2 over the Prop 2.5 limit. <laughs> and, and we're just under 900000 over the Prop 2.5 limit oh, uh, in February. So that's way more optimistic. That's a win. In the glasses half full category, I see that as a win in the short run, uh, but recognize that we still have a $900,000 problem. Yeah. Uh, and so what I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making a recommendation into what we should do, but that third item, if we needed to from a budgeting standpoint, could get pushed out a year and we'd still be pulling that project in yeah. 
Uh, so that so could make sense. I think just for clarification, these are actually not operating budget requests. These are going to be within the municipal building stabilization fund. Um, oh. mm -hmm. So not affect the the eight hundred thousand. These these engineering okay. studies would fall within the municipal building stabilization fund. So that would then argue that we wouldn't necessarily have to push the third one Correct. out for budget reasons. Yes. So actually, this is a this is a municipal stabilization fund decision. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The priority of these things over the priority of other yes, things. Yes, I I okay. can include the fifteen for each. Obviously, we haven't presented it to the capital budget committee yet, mm -hmm. but uh, I have okay. no issue with including the fifteen thousand okay. for each of. 24. Okay. And we brought it to you because we sort of went to the, this is the yeah. triumvirate. Okay. Of, we yeah. went to them, they said come to you, so now we're <laughs> You should be part of the general fund budget. Yeah. That's really. <laughs> yeah. No, that, so. Yeah, I've, I have no issue with, with incorporating those. Okay. That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Awesome. So my, the only comment I have is that um, we do recommend making this a policy decision so that we don't have to come to you with every project we see on the horizon, but that when projects get scheduled, you know, in the five or 20 year plan, that there is a two year prior, you know, small engineering study uh, budgeted. That sounds like the people who want me to automatically give them my credit card so they can charge <laughs> it every year. No, I th no I, it, is, it is really well, best practices, and uh, you well, know. Yeah. Well, so I, I think we can we can agree that that's our policy. Uh, this is I don't me, think we this can guarantee funding. We can yeah. guarantee right. to it's include like it when we can. You can't have the credit card number, but if you want to know the sentiment, <laughs> I, I, I think you've made an argument. Uh, I assume at this point, especially if Eversource is willing to kick in 50%, that would suggest to me that, in fact, the rationale is strong. Uh, so I don't think there's any reason to not, you know, maybe it's called a practice or something as opposed to a policy that has dollars with it. But, uh, and then if it didn't work out very well, then we would just change that practice. But, um, you know, Hilly, if what you're saying is, yeah, I'd like to not have to make the argument that we should always do engineering studies in front of major projects. Um, Jim did a good enough job to, with, with my questions that I, I think that would be okay. If you come in next year with a $500,000 engineering study two years before the real project, that would be a problem. But um, in terms of just our general discipline, mm -hmm. uh, that seems reasonable to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. But it, if it we need the 500,000, I think, you know, the legal requirements might have already kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> but the timing could still be bad. And ARPA, ARPA funds are still available from the county. <laughs> all right, so I think we all believe they were all okay. promised away tonight next, by the county. Next, okay. so I've got to follow Frank, up. can you do the next slide? Um, so then uh, we had argued also or, or thought about, um, you know, solar and um, with the solar projects I think the uh, the understanding is that the ones that we're working on right now that are, that are being proposed at the schools are going to be PPAs um, and they're sort of covered with everything but we very strongly feel that um, with especially with solar projects there's a certain time pre pressure to to lock them in at a certain time and what we are asking for is a small amount of money to do like a scoping study so that we can have the basic metrics of a, of a proposed uh, of, a, of a project so that we can then lock it in into in the interconnection and the smart program. Um, we're finding um, as we are 
working through projects with the town and with the schools that some there are sometimes delays that we don't anticipate where um, you know that that are sort of holding things up unnecessarily and we're losing a lot of money and um, we, we we would like the the town to consider giving a small amount if we if we see a project that's viable to scope it out and lock it in while we're working on the detailed plans so it's it's to do enough sizing that we can go and secure interconnect capacity because right now interconnections are starting to get filled up around town or to be able to go in and um, enter into the smart program to mark yeah. in a rebate level mm -hmm. which is continuously decreasing so it's not to design it it doesn't necessarily assume that we're gonna you know invest capital to buy it or build it ourselves or PPA mm -hmm. but it's to be able to get enough done to lock um, to get us in line yeah. yeah do you do you want me to go through the let me ask yeah you don't mind. Okay. Uh, let me let me ask just a couple of questions. We we had a project in this past year that we wound up going up with a PPA on, and I believe, if I understood it correctly, that a big driver on that rationale was from a timing standpoint. If we hadn't gone PPA, we wouldn't have been able to get this into the system early enough to get the benefit that we really wanted. So, I think that piece I understand. Um, I assume because this is town projects we're talking about, you all would be able to identify specific projects that you would want to do that kind of a study on to develop to the point where you can basically get it into a program, after which we would then be able to do the more comprehensive business analysis of whether we would be better off with PPA or... Yeah, because you, 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 you lock your place, you submit, you lock yep. your place in the queues, yep. and then you have two years to yeah. actually bring it online. So is there a down, in the downs, is it, what would the downside be? About, so in other words, we're going to put money in to do that thing to get it locked in yeah. before we've decided whether to go PPA or owner, right. ownership. Yeah. What's, but, the, but what's the, the downside in that scenario the, for the town? Sort of the, the point would be to have money readily available to act quickly because if we have to wait for another year, the economics look very, very different. It really is a you know, time is money in this case. Sure, but I, what I'm saying is, but you, I assume, can identify which projects you would apply that money, as opposed to simply give us a bag of money and if we see something that looks good and we're going to do it. Well, I'm you know, assuming I, you can identify the projects that are the ones that you right. would be doing that for. Right. Um, um, I mean, the, the most likely that we will look at is the Council on an Aging Roof right now. Um, you know, this week there, might be a bad week to talk about that. I know. <laughs> I know, but it's, it's exactly well, that, know. you know. The roof repairs the, the will be occurring. Is, yeah. <laughs> I know, but, the, but the, the point is that, you know, there is going to be a lot of um, talking around that. So if we can get it at least locked in, at a particular price point, you know, at a particular inter interconnection, then we can do all the scoping, the, you know, the... Yeah. So all I'm saying is it would be, I think, helpful to know whatever, whatever configuration of projects you're looking at, you're looking for some sort of money to be able to lock those projects yeah. in 
Personally, well, I'd like to know what the projects are absolutely, before we commit absolutely. the money to I mean, it. we know that, you know, the school roofs are obviously a huge project that's who knows when in the future, and um, the same with the, with the landfill. And those, those clearly will need that sort of early scoping to, to sort of see, <coughs> see possibilities there. I think what we're looking at. So if we have a two-year, if there's a two-year window, like we wouldn't so, do the, so no, we wouldn't no, do no. the landfill. No, no, right we now. wouldn't do it. Okay. Those are not things. Um, that's what I'm saying. Sort of, these are not things we're looking at Im immediately. No, you know, once they, yeah. once they look like they, you know, are somewhere on the horizon, we would probably want to do that. Um, sort of a, a general idea of how big they are at that point. So for um, FY24, it sounds like the COA roof is one. It's most likely, and you so know, unless you know, I mean, if if if. God forbid we have another leak in the school roof and that needs to be fixed and there's a smaller project, maybe that's something that, that we would have to act quickly too because the interconnections are really filling up and the smart is going down drastically. Well, so, so also think of what, it's not only projects that would come online in fiscal 25, it'd be 26 as well, right. potentially. Right. So, yeah. 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 I'm not arguing the concept, I'm the, saying that... School roofs would be obvious uh, candidates. Except uh, that... Unless we say there's no way we know for sure that yeah, they're no. not going to get fixed until so 2030. Right? Just to Those be clear, good. we're not going to spend this money if we don't see a good project. But if we don't have the money, that project goes you know, and loses money inevitably so we're just asking give us the, the means to secure a project at a favorable rate at a favorable time and if we don't use the 10,000 that we're asking for you know you'll have it for so, something else well, so I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not sure if I'm gonna push or not but I, I, I'm gonna push um, the COA roof sounds like it's a project you've identified that would benefit from doing this and I know what that project is yeah. The school roofs sound like, well, it would be nice to have the money in case an act of God comes in and ruins our roof, and then, hey, we can do that. That I don't feel so good about. Uh, and then in between those is what I just heard you say, Hilly, is, look, what we'd like you to do is give us a little bit of money that we can put sort of in a slush fund that's for this purpose, but we can't tell you what project it might be. It's just sort of an insurance reserve account that has an annual allocation if we use it, we'll come back the next year and ask to refill the bucket. If we don't use it, we'll just carry it over. And it's sort of our emergency reserve for a, an opportunity that we can't identify that could potentially op open up this year. Is that what you're actually asking for? Well, uh, you know, I mean, the console on aging is definitely on the table for yep. to, to that. you know, and... Um, you know, obviously, an act of God with the schools. We don't know. We well, hope it I, doesn't happen. Spend, we, I, I'm not really on board with allocating no. money for acts of God. No, no, no. What about the Blake roof? Um, so, so the Blake roof could potentially become part of the this, uh, the uh, the canopy project. So I don't think that's that's scoped at this point. It's a chunk of the Blake Roof. Yeah. It's not the whole so Blake Roof. I think the other thing, Gus, is that I mean this money is going to actually be under Christine's authority, I assume, so that it's not going to yeah. be just getting spent. Yeah, no, I'm Millie, uh, well, I know. Slush yeah. fund. I, 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 this is a this I is a budgeting a discipline issue. Yeah. This is a yeah. budgeting discipline issue, especially in a year that we're trying to find nine hundred thousand to take Absol out of the budget, Absolutely. just putting in. But I'm not discounting your argument. 
just out of hand. Yeah. I'm saying if there's certain projects we can identify, like the COA roof, that's one thing. I don't know how many of those there are, and you don't you don't need the answer tonight. I'm not asking for you to sort of sandbag that and say, well, it could be this or it could be that. Now we've given you your specifics. I'm talking about real projects that we anticipate we're going to be able to carry out in two years that we want to lock in. If there's an argument to be made for an emergency reserve, I guess I would entertain it, but I want to know how much is it for one project? Is well, I have it a clarifying question, Hilly. So the $10,000, is that to do um, the costing study to see whether or not purchasing it or a PPA no, is better? No, okay, no, I guess I'm, I'm confused as to no, what that exactly that. that. So this is just a, a very basic uh, feasibility study and a sizing study so that we have some numbers to uh, apply for the SMART uh, allocation and get into the intersection, uh, interconnection. Um, this is not any costing. This is not any engineering design. It's it's a very basic. It's know. it's enough to give the project a definition that right. will allow you to get okay. a, a seat at the table. Right. The PPA or ownership decision is something that you'll subsequently make. Right. But the project is defined. Is that what I think? Right. And yeah. and yeah. It, yeah, and it's you know, uh, 400 kilowatts. That's too mm -hmm. big. Uh, you know, coming yeah. online here mm -hmm. on this meter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have enough interconnect capacity to take that? Yes, no, if yes, you know, queue up. Right. And if there's a, obviously at this point, if there's an interconnection issue, you know, that would obviously trigger some sort of mm -hmm. deeper discussion in the, in the design then. Mm -hmm. I think speaking personally, it would help me. Again, we don't need an answer tonight, but I, I understand what you're saying. I, I would feel better if I knew what the defined pro if we're being asked to fund something at ten thousand dollars a crack i would feel better if i knew the specific projects you have identified if you want to make an argument for uh, a flexibility reserve for something that's not been identified but that you think reasonably could occur i'm not sure how many of those there even are so if we had you know we have five projects that we want to do it's this 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 and this and we'd like the extra money for one extra project, then we need $60,000. Then we can have a discussion around the budget whether Christine <laughs> can find, you know, whether that's supportable. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I, what, where, are you, where are you going with this, though? You're making the business case, right. which is, that's helpful. That's usually, Hilly, you know. <laughs> that's, yeah. I, I don't know that we've had a conversation last year yeah. where I haven't ended up by saying, you know, the business case is what we need to have. I think I understand the business case you're making. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a question of... You know, quite honestly, I mean, other than the long-term projects that, mm -hmm. uh, that we've talked about, there's nothing that we can immediately see mm -hmm. uh, right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we're already working with the schools to... to optimize that design okay. um and okay. um yeah so I mean it, it clearly is yeah. dictated yeah. by the age I of roofs that. and and uh, you know um availability of parking lots and that sort of thing and there's okay. restrictions on all that so i kind of come away from this part of the conversation saying that if you come back with a more concrete build up the the basic concept doesn't sound out of line I get the rationale, and if we know what that at, what you know, what the request is quantitatively, and in concrete terms, what it is, we'll still have a budget 
issue they have to work in terms of just because you have great ideas and you have six of them doesn't mean we have $60,000 what I'm saying. No, so it's it's a starting it's okay. I, yeah, I, the sure. request is really for $10,000 to, to uh, you know, look at the Council on Aging oh. roof. Okay. And I think that's a municipal building stabilization fund. Absolutely. Uh, request, yeah. So I, I don't think there's a okay. further issue with that. Okay. So I don't have any objection. I, I was blowing you up way higher than that. That's good. <laughs> you just like doing that. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming, did you? <laughs> All right, Frank, can we move uh, to the next? I think that's a, it's basically a summary of that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Frank, you, we could have saved 10 minutes if you'd had <laughs> Which one? Sorry, um, the $10,000 slide. So, so then we had previously talked about the sustainability uh, cap, cap, you know, some sort of personnel capacity um, and the benefits of that for the town. Uh, we really do continue to believe that is an important function for the town that needs to be filled. Uh, if you move on, yeah, sort of go to the next slide, Frank. Uh, so we, um, you know, after discussion with... Uh, as you said about the the budget right now, and um, in our previous discussions, uh, it it was indicated that there would be a new assistant facility to, uh, facilities manager position that would have some of these functions, and uh, in view of that, you know, uh, hoping to get some of that function, we decided to to delay this request for this year. Um, you know, if there's a change, obviously we would come back <laughs> and discuss that again because we think this is a really, really important function for the town to have. And, uh, you know, I'll continue speaking a little bit about this. Uh, I think... Yeah, I mean, I was just going to add, I mean, we, we realize where we are. I just want to be clear that, you know, there's an opportunity cost of not having that mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, the $250,000 grant writing right now within the town there's n no one that I know of that has the charter, the inclination, or the time, right? Well, to, I think that's why we, that's that. part of why we brought Susan McPhee on, though. No, she, that's absolutely not her. So her, her purview is strictly dealing with green communities grants, and she has... She, I mean, that's what she told me directly. She's not dealing with any other funding sources. And she does has a very sort of specific way of working out on, you know, she identifies projects that are um, where the town has some, some funds already allocated and where there's a, a large amount of BTUs or energy to be saved because that moves us ahead in the queue of being eligible. And then she takes the... the, the projects that are funded and sees them through so through completion so that we meet the deadlines we file the reports and then we're ready for the next as we are now thankfully um, for the next uh, session and so now we're lo we're talking about you know EPA grants you know federal grants uh, mm -hmm. state grants that there's a much bigger part and yeah. also have different applications you know so at the Mass Municipal Association annual meeting, uh, they had a video from, it was actually Elizabeth Warren, uh, Warren's video, where she said that in addition to the, the, in addition to the pots for the grants for the work, the federal government had another pot that was targeted to help people, help fund people to write the grant requests. So they have a pot to help fund people to write the requests for the bigger pot. Yeah. Yeah. 
So somebody needs to write that grant. No, no, well, <laughs> that, that application. I mean, so is the issue we need, what I'm getting at is they said that that first pot is to get the money for the grant writers. And so are we talking about one grant that needs to be written to get tapped into that pot in order to get the funds to hire a grant writer? Is that the? Well, uh, you know, I, I feel this is sort of not our bit job to figure out, but your job <laughs> to figure out, you know, how to, how to get somebody to apply for those grants. Um, and, and we're willing to take that on. Yeah. It's just okay. that's, you know, we do have only so much bandwidth exactly. with the staffing right. we have. That's the right. point, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't want anybody to think that we're not. I mean, no, no. honestly, I would recommend Carico, but, you know, he's very <laughs> successful at grant writing. So. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm not trying to come across like I'm taking what the committee's done in the past for granted. For granted. <laughs> um, but I... I'm trying to understand even what it is we're saying we really need to do. And if it's one grant to get the money to fund, let's for a minute here not call it a sustainability coordinator because I think my definition of that would be a little different. But a grant writer and the funding for that grant writer can come from the federal I find it fascinating. But <laughs> the federal government gives you the money to hire the grant writer to go after the big grants. Yeah. We'd have to digest that in terms of how best to go about doing that, but that's a little bit. I think it's a little more different than that. Although, Gus, in my mind, I think we have to create a, a position, or we have to fund somebody to do this for us. Well, I, I and disagree. We're not, not if I get they, federal, not if we can get federal funds for it. You know, no, the Liz Warren agree. grant just isn't going to pop up. Someone needs to apply for that, and so that we need somebody at the townhouse who is is looking at this information, making the decisions, and, and applying for the grants. I mean, I took one a look grant. at the at the portal that. <laughs> that uh, you missed the point, though, Pete. It's one grant to get into the first pot, to get the grant writer. All right, you you get us in there, uh, Gus. You know, if you're if you can do it, great. But if if you can't, then let's hire somebody that'll get us in that door. Well, well it might so be that's if that's a if it's one grant you need. What I'm saying is that's a contractor, right. that's not a hire. Well, no, we are okay. saying we've never, well, we'd love a hire, but we yeah. the last time yeah. we discussed was we weren't sure if it was a hire. Can you get in via a contractor at some? Yeah, we just need we need someone to be time, doing it. Time, three quarter time. So when we hired Susan McPhee, her, I, I think not, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. His focus is, but one of her major selling points was, I bring in about five times as much as it's going to cost you with my clients. I bring five times as much money into the town as you're going to pay me. That makes it a pretty easy decision. <laughs> um, Leaving, and at first I was skeptical, but then not just, it's not just the grant writing, it's also the advice we've gotten from her. I, I think that was a good move, so I'm not against that. If we, it sounds like we should be trying to find someone who could write a grant that would get us into that first pot, so we would have the funds to hire somebody who's a grant writer to get to the bigger pot but I think that's, a that's somebody you hire under contract. That's not a new hire that you bring on board. How we find that first person, it's kind of like the way you make yogurt. You start with the old yogurt and you, <laughs> you make the, if, if it's helping me just to understand even what the challenge is here. It sounds like the challenge is to find somebody who's available to write the grant, the first grant, to get to the bigger grant to pay for well, part, part the grant writers that you're looking for. Yeah. Well, part of the challenge, yeah. I think, is that all these interlocking grant programs are so Byzantine that it is a specialty all its own just to understand where the money is mm -hmm. 
what the application process is, what the criteria are. What the schedule um, is. Yeah. The, yeah, and certainly none of us on the Energy Committee have that kind of expertise right. in that. Um, and again, Susan's got her specialty just in green communities. There probably are people who, I'm sure there are people who are specialists I'm wondering whether federal Susan, well, I'm wondering, So short answer is I don't know who those people are either, but yeah. I'm wondering whether Susan might be able to help us find someone like that to write that first grant that then leverages into the... So I have, I have a question. If we can go back one slide. Are these requests that you're moving forward with? Because no. I have a question. No, no, no. This no. was from December. Okay. This it revised this. Okay. Because yeah. the issue with Susan McPhee, his contract is, I believe, at 25000 We were supplementing with some green community's money. We're at the end of her contract, and it's only February. So that is one thing I, I would like to discuss with the Energy okay. Committee tomorrow night. Okay. So is there a, a request for twenty four to increase her allocation? Because I don't have that. I don't have that included in, in my eight hundred and fifty something thousand dollars shortfall. Yeah. <laughs> well. Um, so what do you have in for funding? For I believe we have twenty five thousand. Yeah. which is what we've been carrying standard and then we've been trying to supplement with green communities money I okay. I, I mean I, I don't know exactly how her hours tracked you know obviously you have have better okay. information I can, on that. I can have a conversation with her directly yeah. on that yeah, the intent of yeah. this was whatever level spend she was with inflation however you incorporated okay. that in. yeah perfect and okay yeah and you know, hopefully, if you do have a new facilities support, that you know her her time might be more efficiently spent. You know, because she did. Oh, I have some recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to make a comment. I, 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 I there's a great idea to find a grand grand writer to get us onto the the, the wagon. Um, I do. So I started looking through some grants and. You know, our project might not f fall very neatly into sort of these narrowly defined projects that are coming, you know, those propo uh, requests for proposals. So I think that person would also have to have some vision, have some, you know, talk to the, the, the departments and sort of um, design this project in a way that it, it becomes more fundable. Not, not changing the project really, but, you know, like, um, Sort of develop the project in a way that that it gets to a point where where it it uh, becomes fundable. So it is it is a little bit more part of the town, you know, and the departments than just sort of technically writing it. So what I hear in those comments, in my head at least right now, I see two things. One side was the, the, the grant system is Byzantine, so you need people who can get through the Byzantine corridors to get the grants. And then your point, Hilly, is, and then that has to be translated into the perspective of someone who knows what the town really needs. It's a little bit like a classic systems design project where the people who know how to do the system don't know how the users want to use it, and the mm -hmm. users don't know how to tell the people who are doing the programming what they need. And there's always that challenge of how do you, I always think of it as how do you get two people to come to the corner of the, of the block. One of them has to know how to peek around the corner and talk to the person in the language the person on that side of the block is doing. So I, to me, it's two sides of it. I would think that if we had an assistant facilities manager who had some of those sustainability responsibilities, that would be the person I might most hope would be able to 
take the information about the grants that the grant savvy person would have and say, okay, let me take a look at what we need in the town to figure out how we could recharacterize the project. Now, you know, so that's it's where that comes together. It's yeah. That translation that, process. Yeah. That but, sounds you know, right. But, you know, there are projects that are fundable that are not only building facilities. You know, there's transportation and, and solar. I mean, there's, there's a, a much wider variety of just yeah, sort of sure. building electrification. Right. So, um, you know, that would be the benefit of having a point person that sort of coordinates this between the departments and and helps sort of design projects in a way that yeah, they become. So it's probably that assistant facilities manager. Um, Fred, I don't know how long your question has been here. Eileen is always does a far better job than I do of watching for questions, but Fred says, I'm watching on TV. Does the BOS have a perspective on when school roofs will be repaired and therefore ready for solar? So if that was a trivia question you were asking, Fred, about whether I memorized the capital projects <laughs> list, the answer is no, I did at all. But I'm thinking, I think maybe the, the, the point of Fred's question is it makes a lot of sense when we are looking at replacing roofs on any of our buildings. That is the ideal time for us to take a look at solar installations. I believe the roof replacements are, in fact, programmed in our capital they are. budget. They were out. For, I remember they were programmed at a very high number, and yeah. it seemed to me it was probably four years, three years out from. Yeah, uh, they were, and then it was dependent on applying for the MSBA uh, Accelerated Roof Repair uh, Program, okay. um, which has been suspended for this year um, because they're taking that money to apply it to districts who um, have been hit with overages due to the, okay. the higher construction market. Um, so I think we need to decide when the MSBA project accelerated roof repair will be coming back and whether or not we can be in that program and the potential of if we are going to down down the track of doing that for a new elementary, okay. elementary school so there's still some moving pieces on See, that but short at least it sticks in my mind it would probably as things stand right now before all this stuff with the msba happened it was probably another three or four years i believe so out maybe yeah. even five years I, i'd out. have to look i don't yeah. i don't remember yeah, but the top it, of my so head but short yeah. answer fred is yeah if, you're, if what was behind your question is it makes sense to look at solar when you're looking at roofs, we agree. We do have roofs that are programmed into the capital budget. Perhaps some of that programming is going to be delayed because of mm -hmm. this thing that the MSBA is doing. But, uh, but, but the, the key point for us for FY24, the discussion was it, it won't be 25 or 6 unless there's an act of God. Right. Right. Right, and at that point, you know, to Jim's point, uh, you know, doing the roof repairs, will obviously we'll look at insulation of, you know, how to how to uh, do the ducting to maximize solar space and that sort of thing. So it's going to be a comprehensive. Okay. Um, just just back to the sustainability piece. So we got Susan in there. Um, you can work that. I'll, I'll work with Susan. Just, uh, I mean, how do we get? to find a grant writer to write a grant to get a gr money for a grant writer? That's the problem is that I'm, when I'm cutting $845,000, and I know you have to spend money to make money, but I, you know, who do I cut that's existing on staff to hire somebody else to write a grant that we may not get? So it's, I think it's, we're still working on that. Unless we but find but a I think the first, I'm not, again, I'm throwing this at you in a sense, but I would think it's at least worth asking Susan if she knows of that, you know, someone who's like that. There, there are grant writers out there. It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and maybe you can go back to the municipal association and sort of get more details about where those. It's still going to require an appropriation, so it's still uh, an operating. Well, unless you expense. find, you know, a lawyer volunteer retired in town who wants to write a grant for the town. <laughs> We're all volunteers, right? On a, on a commission basis. Or <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so, so, but for our purposes tonight, I would say. We're having a conversation around the concept of what we would like to do. That conversation gets implemented in the context of a budget challenge that we also face, but it helps for us to have some clarity around what it is we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it. So if we have to make budget trade-offs, we don't simply dismiss something as, well, this was a waste of money in the first place. It's not. It's just a question of what we can afford to do. Mm -hmm. So that's... Okay. All right. So I think then, Frank, if you move on, I just want to sort of uh, show some of the uh, grant opportunities that and how we see them. So this is a, an email that uh, Jim got today, uh, a newsletter from the EPA, um, and that's one way of tracking. Oh, this doesn't work. No. Oh, here for you. <laughs> uh, sort of one way of tracking what's what's coming up or what's um, where there's call for proposals. Um, is through emails and, and scanning those. And then uh, I wanted to introduce you to a portal that I, I uh, was introduced uh, to last month. It's the climate, um, what is it called, Pro program proposal, uh, pro portal. portal. And uh, you, you can register for free as a public employee. And uh, I took some screenshots of, of it, if you sort of keep going through. So uh, one thing that you come up immediately are these two tabs where you have a general description, and then you can see what, uh, what uh, proposals are on the table. So the general prescription, uh, description right now is all the, f oh, so what I should say, this portal only deals with two federal grants, uh, the RIA and the JAA job, <laughs> you know, the the, um, the, uh, the the previous climate bill, and so you could see the total amount of money that the federal government is going to disperse through these programs and the types of grants, and you can see, on average, the municipal uh, uh, offset is seventy six percent, which is you know pretty high. So if you go further down on the same page, oh, I I just want to sort of have have a look at the. Um, left tab that's not clicked, the light gray, I'll go back, come back to that in a minute. Um, so then uh, you can filter uh, there, for, for example, for uh, the grant, grants that uh, are available to towns, you know, or schools or whatever, you can filter a lot. If you go to the next slide, I pulled up some of the filters on the, on the right there, um, <coughs> where you can narrow things down. And if you keep going, on the same slide, it shows you how those grants are dispersed, what, what agencies uh, will, will um, uh, offer them. And you can see that the Department of Transportation is a, is a really big one. So, you know, uh, we should maybe, even though we are not, you know, don't have public transit and all these things, but we should probably have a, have a close look at some of those funds too. So if you keep going down that page, there's an endless list of all the programs that are offered and who offers them in whatever way. So if you go to the next page, I then went to the, um, to the actual request uh, site and uh, it can 
if you see these little bar on the left, uh, on the right, there's a, like a black and two gray dots there. I don't have a pointer. Um, under the blue bar, you know. <coughs> so it tells you which, which requests are open. It tells you uh, also which requests are expired. And uh, that is very useful because a lot of the money that gets dispersed doesn't get dispersed in one go, but there are rounds of it. And sometimes the, the sort of specs of who's mostly eligible change. So a lot of the early rounds right now are specifically uh, designated for EJ communities and, and um, you know, communities that need more help. But in later rounds, it will uh, become more open. Um, I think there's about 40% of the, uh, the grants are designated for EJ communities. Um, so, but looking at, at grants that have already closed, um, one can see sort of what what kinds of projects are funded and what we should look at maybe what is fundable in in Medfield, right? Um, and if you go down on this page, I think I I, I selected for schools and municipal you know local governments and I came up right now open a three. And you can see a description of you know who who does what, how much money is available, and on then you click on the link on the right, and you get a deeper description. This one I chose was um, you know 80 million program out of a 500 million program to uh, do energy upgrades in public schools. So the first round is 80 million out of this. And you have all sorts of links on, you know, resources, how to apply, the program description, all sorts of things that give you all the details. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, obviously this is not all the resources because some of the funds will come through the state and I'm trying to identify best ways of monitoring for that. But this is a, is a good start of identifying how these programs are structured, what the, what the guardrails are and, and what kinds of projects they're looking for. In case there was any question about how Byzantine this whole thing is. Well, <laughs> yes and no. It's a simple, off, you know, once you open yeah. a link to the actual thing, yeah. it's like one. First off, <laughs> I appreciate, Hilly, your effort in, in digging through this thing and where, where my head was going. Uh, in a sense, it's not, this piece isn't Byzantine to me because the system, the issue is filtering and focusing and getting to something that's actionable out of 580-some billion dollars of potential grant money. Uh, so filtering things down to say in this, you know, avalanche, what would be anything, what would be the most important things for us to look at? That's, at least it seems like the system that you just walked us through is fairly straightforward. As you were talking in my head, I was sitting there thinking back to our town goals of one of them, I think we talked about at one time, is trying to find more opportunities for, for students, you know, younger people in the town to do that. And I'm looking at this and going, I bet you you could explain this to a kid in high school who had the interest, who had the interest in this, and within a week they'd probably come back in and say, "Look, here's the top 20 we think you should look at." Yeah. Um, and I and I'm not just doing that to you know throw the work at them. It's like, well, that would actually, for the right kid, would introduce them to how governments operate, how, how the federal government operates, how the process works, how you identify things, and it, it would actually be a tremendous learning opportunity. Um, yeah, up to this point, yes, you know, so I did yeah. some digging after that, and I looked at the actual grant description and application, and, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I looked up a lot of legal terms all afternoon to <laughs> see, you know, 
like it, it said municipal, like local governments can apply, but mm -hmm. then they were sort of scheduled and whatever. And, you know, turns out you have to have a certain population size. Mm -hmm. And, you know, f that but takes I, a lot of digging yeah. for somebody who's but, not but in the business. For, for younger people, especially when you're out of system, that's it's, it's a way of learning a lot. But they also probably are relatively comfortable navigating it. So you still have to learn. You still have to do the work. But um, for the right person, I would think that would be an, an intriguing opportunity. Uh, we, it was just we said that's something that we think would be good to do. And I'm just looking at it. This would be an ideal opportunity to do that uh, as a way of thinking about how do you at least start to open up the oyster here. Yeah. Well, I just I sort of I thought it was a really yeah. cool portal, yeah. and I, I you know introduced uh, the administration, and you guys yeah. got an email from me too. Um, obviously, somebody can spend a lot of time on that, <laughs> and um, it sort of in my mind it strengthens also the uh, the argument to have somebody a as a consultant or somebody who can help us with that. Mm. Okay. All right. Great. All right, um, let's see, the next thing we had was a follow-up discussion of the 2023 goals. I'm going to admit, I owed everybody an update. I didn't get to it, so I'm going to suggest okay. we defer that to the next meeting yep. uh, with fine. my apologies for, we, were, we said this, huh? We'll happily take that. <laughs> yeah, well, that, there's a time element here that makes this yeah. a good thing. Um, as, we, as you may recall, at our last meeting, we said this would be our last discussion of the goal. So I will try to. Can get I, this thing can I add one more thing to consider for your goals yeah. for the next meeting? Is that we're in February. And these 2023 goals, which are fiscal year, are going to end on June 30th. I see. Calendar goals, right? Okay, okay. Could we make them two year calendar goals? Just think about it. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think. Not that we don't yeah. want to do this again in a year, but I'm just saying you, you could make them two-year. Well, they're just updates each year, but I'm yeah. trying to remember where that right-hand right column I thought had two years in it. I could be wrong. Okay. Or else I took them out, but I think the, the okay. right-hand actions were too... I'll, I'll check. Even better. So, worth, good point. If we had it to a good point where we actually reviewed it each year, because we haven't really done that. Uh, just one year. 2023. 2023. I, I may... Okay. My mistake. That, although that was that didn't say FY twenty three, that said twenty twenty three. So if we do so, twenty three twenty four, you've yeah, worked yeah. so hard on to this point. I would. I, would, yeah. I, I, I do think I do think we should revisit them each year. Agreed. But if we had the discipline to do that, then it would be a refinement, uh, and it can be revised any time in the year if somebody mm -hmm. comes right. in with something. It's it's not intended to be just a, a once a year thing anyway. Uh, FY 2024 budget review. It sounds like um, you, So you have a copy in front of you. Um, obviously, you just got a preview as I was talking about it. Um, we do have a delta between our revenue projections and our requested expenditures. Um, and that is obviously the 815,646. Um, this is... Um, Obviously, the first budget worksheet that's been released, it's, I think we actually released it at the Warren Committee last week, and it's already dropped a little bit. So there's still some moving pieces in this, and I just want to highlight those. Um, the first is we are still waiting for uh, Governor Healy's um, budget, which is not due until March 1st. I know she made a significant promise at the Mass Municipal Association. She would get us that state aid number as soon as she could, but we have not heard that yet. So we're still carrying that as a level funded from last year. 
Um, in addition, we are working with our insurance company looking at uh, our property and general liability. The town currently has a $1,000 deductible. Um, I think we have you know, close to a $500 million um, value in our buildings and we're carrying a $1,000 deductible. They have suggested moving to a $5,000 deductible, which saves the town uh, close to $27,000 a year. Um, and we're, they're just preparing that analysis for us now. Um, so it just saves us $27,000 and the downside is that we wind up paying 5,000 for deductible if we have correct. a claim. Yeah, so they're running the analysis of what we've paid so far in our deductibles and what we would. Yeah. Okay. Um, we are looking at our police and fire 111F injured on duty insurance. Uh, that is based on current enrollment, so the chiefs are working on that now. Um, and then the other outstanding item is the health insurance. We did receive confirmation from Blue Cross Blue Shield through Maya that our increase the year, this year is 8.7%. I made a call to uh, the Employee Insurance Advisory Committee. Uh, they were also concerned about such a high increase for both employees in the town. So we have a meeting tomorrow at 3 o'clock um, to look at plan design with Blue Cross Blue Shield to see if we can bring that cost down, um, obviously not just for the town, but for our employees as well. Um, so we should have some more information about that. So I just I didn't want anybody to get nervous about the the eight hundred fifteen thousand dollar delta until we get some some additional pieces of information here for you. Um, a week ago, I saw like eight ninety eight. Right? Yes, so we've come down uh, just in a in a few short days. So we're we're moving in the right direction. Right. Thank so questions uh -huh. comments? No, I'm trying to get time one on one. Yes. Doing it now. Nope. Thanks. Totally fine. Pete. I haven't had a chance to look at it enough to really have questions. At that, <laughs> point, so. that 815 is a combination of school and town. Correct. And we don't have a split. No. Because that's my tool. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Medfield State Hospital Trinity proposal. I asked Christine to put this on. Uh, all three of us were on the uh, first public hearing with the with the planning board last night, um, and the the main reason I wanted to just put that on was for the opportunity for the three of us to have a conversation about our thoughts on the situation right now in terms of where this whole thing is going. This is a run. We don't have the opportunity to, you know. I have opinions. I've expressed opinions. But I'm also painfully aware they're only my personal opinions, yeah. not necessarily the viewpoint of the board of selectmen. So, I sort. I this is not intended to drive toward decisions, not looking for votes. It was just an opportunity for us to kind of provide reactions, thoughts, observations on what you see around the site plan review for uh, the Trinity proposal. This is at the this is after the first of uh, three or four public hearing meetings at three, I guess. Uh, so it's really just trying to stir the pot while it's still cooking rather than scraping the pot after everybody is taking care of everything. No, no, I appreciate it because this proves a perfect example. We do not talk amongst right. ourselves, right? right. So, so we've been seeing the emails come in. Um, I've been, I, I won't candy coat it. Um, I was thrown when I saw the, the one space that really does it by the neighborhood. Of all the 45 acres, it's the only spot and you know, I think if I recall, because I took a video of, of that area um, back uh, probably over a year ago and talked about how beautiful that is and like, we were gonna give the land up, um, you know, we did not wanna give up a lot. So when I saw roughly 78 jump to 180 something, 
it didn't sit well with me. Um, it still doesn't sit well with me. And I've reached out to Abby and we had a conversation Friday afternoon, um, a really good conversation where I talked about other parts of the area. Like it's, and they, they kind of referenced it last night in the meeting with that one building that's getting torn down. I, could, I said to Abby, I could see you putting more parking spaces there. And one could argue that, oh, but you know, what's the look and the feel? I don't, I'm being brutally straightforward. I don't care about the look and the feel so much if we're invading our residents that the residents that are going to have to deal with a lot to begin with, this is the one thing I sense we can control. And, and, I, and I, I appreciate that this, this cam parking, that's part of this, but there's a lot of parking across the street at, at, um, at the McCarthy Field and at the top of the uh, sledding hill. And I saw it happen last year when they did the big Fairy House event, which was the most highly attended event. There are a lot of people who just walk right up. Right? So, so when I look at events that are not seven days a week, 12 months of the year, and I love the CAM events, so I'm not knocking the CAM events, but when I look at it, we're worrying about invading our, uh, the one neighborhood that bought this development for events that are not all year, not seven days a week, um, that we're then leaving a very large parking lot for, and, and, and there were a couple of letters that came in, in my opinion, that nailed it, that you know, you're going to have door slamming, lights going on, things that are just 100% disruptive that we, we got, and I said this to Abby on Friday, when that vote came in, and I saw that it was like not, you know, 99.9% .9 of the people were thrilled. I looked at two people, Jim and Abby, and I said, Abby, I was thrilled for you guys because the town got behind this. Abby, I sit here on a Friday afternoon, and if we did the vote tomorrow, that could have shifted to 200, which could get, a, get momentum behind it, and we could lose it. And I don't want that to happen. I want, you guys are a good company. I know you're the right partner. So I know we're going to do the right thing. And then she said, I know, and, and I can't change anything for Friday's meeting, excuse me, Monday's meeting. But you know, yes, it, we're at the point where we know we have to look. And, and so it was a good meeting, but I think it's important that citizens speak up. Um, I sit in this chair as, as, as a, a selectman, and why I did this is that I never want a citizen to be, feel like their voice doesn't matter. And I went through a period of being a resident where I felt like my voice didn't matter. So like, I, I look out and I, I see Jill and I see others and I, it, it, it does matter and it's our responsibility to represent the entire town. So um, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to, to let the citizens know that, um, again, we can't talk, but you've heard from me. Abby, uh, uh, Christine, you've certainly had to take, take a couple of calls from me. Um, and I know Sarah was great about it because I asked Sarah about the, um, looking at what's been, what's been zoned, it would be a special permit for more parking on the green where they're taking the building down. So that's not a, sto a showstopper if that's what they would require to take some away from the water tower and put it more on the main campus. And then there's other areas too that we were looking at, you know, put eight here, put 10 there and you nibble away at it. So uh, I just, it, it, hit a, it hit a soft spot with me and I appreciate the opportunity. I had uh, much of the same reaction that the uh, um, increase in the parking at the water tower area is at the expense of the uh, abutters, the neighbors, and that I don't know that that's appropriate. Um, I think that as, as I saw it all on evolve, I don't think that uh, Trinity cares about the extra park in there so much at all, that it's really the uh, Belfort's Art Center that cares about that parking and is driving that. And I'm not sure that we should be putting in the parking at the cost to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm for the Bell Forge Arts Center. So I, I mean, I came up with, uh, I just, you know, I ske sketched out on their plan, 
in the green areas where I could put parking on the campus uh, and fitted them in around the Trinity structure. I mean, you know, Belfords itself has a huge green area that they could turn into parking instead of having their their uh, their concerts on grass. They could, you know, they could have a parking lot there. So, um, I think there's uh, uh, it needs to be revisited. I guess so. That's just my general reaction. The other thing that I saw on their plan was that they're cutting down my favorite tree at the site, which I told them that. I, it's the, it's the most interesting tree on the site. It's the fringe tree because um, it, it's a tree that grows uh, far beyond its range here. And uh, so that, uh, but it's a very nondescript looking tree when it's not in bloom, but when it blooms for a couple of weeks, it's really spectacular looking. So they're having their landscape architect take a look at the, the fringe tree. But I thought that in general, uh, you know, Trinity, I think it done a nice job with their presentation, their, mm -hmm. their plan, I think it's still good. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, the, I think it is, as Gus, you said, that it's gonna be a very desirable project. I think that they won't have any trouble renting this out. Um, and I hope it's very profitable for them. So that's just where I am at the okay. moment. Uh, we, may, we may do this periodically, because I think there's a good discussion, mm -hmm. I suspect it's, helpful for people. I guess let me just say my current. last thing was I, I made the suggestion to them last night that you know looking at their parking lot plans they you know they just added extra impervious surface instead of doing uh, face-in parking along service drive they, they added extra parking lots uh, and I mean you could you could get a lot less impervious surface if you did the the, the parking lots face in along service drive so hmm. they're just they're details still. So my, my reaction, I had a couple of reactions. One, I, it sounds like all of us looked at the 179 spaces and were definitely sympathetic to the objections of the local neighborhood. So mm -hmm. I think that's, that's a given. Uh, prob probably, I won't say as important, because I think it's important to us, but uh, when I talked to Abby on this, by the time I talked to her, she already was aware of this. It was very clear. Trinity was already working, and she confirmed this last night, that Trinity is trying to figure this out. One of, uh, of the observations I have of Trinity so far is that they, they came in with a proposal that was closer to what we asked for than I would have expected anybody to come in with. They have consistently been willing, or at least apparent to me, that they've been willing to listen to try to take the inputs of the public into account and try to make adjustments. And I don't know that all developers would do that with quite the degree of at least perceived sincerity that I see in mm -hmm. that. The fact that when I talked to Abby, they were already working on how to make an adjustment there tells me a couple of things. Number one, there was gonna be an adjustment there. Uh, and number two, her, her view was no, we're, we're looking for public, in, you know, this is the stage when nothing's in concrete, we haven't hired people to do detailed designs. This is the right time to have these conversations and to make these adjustments before lots of time and lots of money is spent in going in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, now is the time you can come up with different alternatives. And I think, and I, I like you, Pete. I walked around last weekend with the, with the, with one of the maps. It wasn't the current map, um, but I just kind of looked and said, where could parking possibly go with me not being a parking lot designer, but where, where does it look like you put something without really trash in the place? Um, 
One comment that Abby made to me about some of the additional parking inside the quad was that she said the National Park Service has looks they basically apparently have given them guidance to minimize what goes on inside because they view the whole integrity of the quad and everything to be important. So there's already a fair amount of parking inside the quad, uh, but I at least appreciated her pointing out that the Park Service doesn't actually want a lot of parking inside the quad, but the places that I looked at that could have been alternatives were actually outside the quad, for the, except for a couple of small, uh, there's a couple of buildings that it seems like you put parking spaces in, in between the wings and hardly anybody even see the cars, but mm -hmm. what do I know? Um, so I'm confident that we're going to get to a better solution to that parking lot. I, I think I will be curious as we get to that to hear from the neighborhood because I'm not automatically saying it goes back to the 73 that were in the master plan, but it has to really do something of 72. But, but it, it's, it, maybe it's a number in between those two. It's definitely not something that sticks all the way out to something like 25 feet, mm, 25 yeah. yards from no the, way, yeah. the stone wall. That's, I think that's a no-brainer. That's not going to work. And there are other places to go. I saw something last night. I realized something last night. It wasn't a problem. But one of the concerns that I have around the site is the clear goal that the town set in the master plan to ensure the preservation of public access to the open space. And as I was listening to the planning board, if any planning board members are out there, this is not a criticism, this is an <laughs> observation. The planning board is looking at what Trinity is planning to do with this project. I don't think it's even within the scope necessarily or the perspective of the planning board to think about how this project, once it's completed, affects the way the rest of the town accesses and uses the rest of the open space that surrounds the project. So when you okay, start, for instance, when you take that, that project, that, that, that parking lot that's almost all the way up to the stone wall, well, okay, that's a problem for the neighbors. That's you know potentially a problem for the size of the parking lot. It's also potentially a problem for people who are coming up to access the, the back, the north field, who get to this choke point. And it's not like you can't go by. It's that it doesn't feel like you're in a field going to open space. So I'm, I'm a little mindful, I'm a lot mindful of the ultimate flow that this project will create in terms of the other important goal that the town identified, which was to ensure that the public had continued access to the open space that surrounds the, the hospital. And I'm, I'm not sure that anybody, but maybe us, will be thinking about that because it's, it's not what's being done on the project, it's what the project is doing in the broader context. Uh, I hope that the planning board will think about that. Uh, it, that was one of the, the epiphanies that I had last night, which is that there isn't much public parking. No, there isn't. Um, I, and I that uh, people that want to go to the Overlook are going to, you know, they're going to park by the well tower, apparently. Um, and well, that, yeah, that's, I wasn't, well, the, park, so, the planning board will look at the parking. I'm, not, I'm talking about an aesthetic flow around, you know, you, however you approach, wherever you start to approach the north field, that's either going to feel like it's an easy passage or it's a difficult passage. And well, you're I going think, to be walking through somebody else's neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's some paths that'll get you to, you know, Rocky Woods. 
from off of Pine Street, but you're walking up somebody's driveway. When we bought Redgate Farm, and suddenly I learned after, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years in the town, that the town has always had the scout land, which was the woods in the center behind Redgate Farm. I said, I had, I've, I've worked with Boy Scouts for years as an adult leader. I had no idea we had a piece of property called scout land. Seems like scouts should have used it. And I said, how do you get to it? They said, oh, there's a trail right on the Walpole border. Bring a machete. <laughs> you, you need a machete. You, you're not going to get in there that way. Now that we have Redgate Farm, you can get to it. But before that, you couldn't. So merely having open space or designated free access doesn't actually make some of that stuff easily accessible for people. And that's, I think, what we have to keep in mind. And so, so looking at the way they did the cutout, so I think we used to call it Building R. Right. Yep. So today, when everyone yep. thinks that this development's going to take place and they're going to be able to come up and park and walk along that, that, that the dirt path that exists because that many people walk mm -hmm. the field on a daily basis, mm -hmm. um, I think the way I see the cutout today says, you know, again, on their tentative map, I'm not quite sure where you would park and how you would get to access to that. So that will be a subject of the LDA that we will have final approval over. So it's it's open on okay. that. I, in that you brought that up, I would also make the observation last night's meeting. Two different site maps were presented over the course of those presentations. Yes. So yes. you're looking at one of them, which I think had the northernmost migration of the boundary. Yeah. But the first one actually had the stair step, and yes. that even that is, you know. And so, so we don't have a final total designation. And so that's the one thing I'm going to want Trinity to show me visually. Somebody comes up, what they call the service road, mm -hmm. okay? And then there is today's world. You can go up the state hospital if you enter to go to the left-hand side where the canoe area is. There's all sorts of parking there. And in any given day, whether it's 9 o'clock in the morning, 2 in the afternoon, there's tons of parking. So we're telling the citizens of this town that they're going to have just as easy access to this open space and I'm not quite sure that how, how, how accurate that statement's going to be. You can get up there, but where are you going to be able to park? Well, so my point is, you're absolutely right, which is why I'm suggesting that's one of the things that we want to be mindful. We don't merely want to be mindful of one parking lot that has 179 spots. I think we need to be mindful of a broader dynamic about that entire piece of property. So you're, you're right with what you're saying. If everybody's passively accepting whatever's in the plan, I think this is part of the feedback so, that so, we, we should be having now before everything gets... So let me ask a silly up. question, yeah. because the state's involved with this too, and the state obviously wants this to go well. And we have this piece of agricultural land that abuts behind Building 2 and along the, the parking lot that supports Building 7. Is it completely out of bounds to ask to... In, to take some of that space so that there is open space that would enable parking? No. Absolutely positively no. We've already asked um, repeatedly for that. That's already been promised to DCR on that. Uh, right. Yeah. Question. Go ahead, Christine, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, no. that, that land is, slide, is slotted for the Department of Agriculture. Yeah. So it's DAR that's, that's getting all of that property. Now, we do have, I want to say, probably 15 or 20 feet on the other side of the trees. When you drive down that parking lot, there's a line of trees. The boundary is about maybe, don't hold me to the exact number, but it's 15 or 20 feet, probably closer to the middle of the field than that tree line. 
So we could take down some trees well, that are kind but, of nasty but, and old. No, and but, but wait, though. But one of, the, one of the major items in the master plan is viewscape. Is what? Viewscape. Oh, you, okay. And viewscape is not a parking lot in the middle of that field. So I just want to go on record and remind you, remind you of that. This is not a criticism, Eileen. Mm -hmm. It's you're not as familiar with what went on through the, the the master planning process and everything else. Do you think I attended all your meetings? I attended all their meetings too. Well, and, and this is where I, but we're still going to have to be in a give and a take, right? Because I, I look at 189, and that in my mind just is. I, I'd say it's a showstopper in my mind. Like you can't do that when we. So we need to modify that, and I, that, I believe we're going down that path. Right. But we also need to relocate those cars, and whether. Some potentially end up across the street at the top of Sledding Hill because if, if it's supposed to be for people that are basically coming on Saturdays and, and, and Sundays. I don't disagree. I don't disagree with um, what you're saying. I'm, I'm just expanding on some of the issues that, that also there are, there are side impacts and side factors that go into this. I, wa I want to point out that the neighbors who brought up the issue, I was shocked, by the way, to see the... Um, the, the 179 as opposed to the 72, because that was not discussed in the conversations that I had with Trini when they asked me to get the neighbors involved mm -hmm. and, and, and get them to at least make sure that they understood that they had the opportunity to comment. And when I went out to the neighbors, I said, make whatever comments you want, whether you want a parking lot or not. If you want to make those comments, make those comments. I will make sure that they get to Trinity. Um, but by the way, just so you know, it was in the master plan, and I gave them in, in the notification, I gave them pictures of what that parking lot was to look like. I was shocked to see the larger parking lot in 179, so I felt like I, I almost mislaid the neighbors, and I was, I was uh, you know, quite a bit upset about that. Um, you sh uh, you sh I'm sure you've seen the comments. You're also aware that, that the neighbors, not only looking out for them, concerned their own abundant, abundance, if that's a word, but they were also concerned about the choke point. And there were several uh, of the neighbors that raised that issue about the choke, choke point in that area. As far as the other side of the property, um, I also learned last night in one of the responses that Trinity made to the question that the parking lot that they're putting next to, I think it's building seven, but it's the old flat topped, uh, uh, was the training building, that's alongside the left-hand side of the property and everything yeah. else. The parking lot that, that they're putting there is where they intend to put whatever parking is now being done at the rear of the property for people who want to use the overlook. So however many spaces that they're putting there, I don't have the sheet in front of me and everything else, but last night they said something to the effect of seven spaces there. Yeah, it wasn't. Now, yeah. I, now I want to point out that, I mean, I've been watching the numbers that are back, back there constantly. I drive up on weekends and count the cars and everything else. And in general, there's never probably less than maybe 25 cars Easily. at the back of that property. Easily. All right, so to say that seven people are going to park in that proposed parking lot, walk up to... The overlook, I mean, you might as well be parking on the other side of the campus and walking through the, the uh, development that, to get there. So they need to do something about that. And again, I'm not saying they need to put it necessarily at the back of the property, but that's not the right spot for it, and it's not enough. So I just want to go on record with that. You also know that I've raised the other issue about water, and that's a, that is probably the most significant issue mm -hmm. that's there. Uh, on the parking lot, I mean because I spend time there. I, I went to more than half of the CAM performances, and we do occasionally bring our dog up there, and if you just look at where people naturally park, 
the park to the left. You are going to need answers that I think allow people who are using it to naturally park there. Now, fortunately, that big lot you're talking about, Bill, that's one of the places people naturally park when they wanted to go to cam performances. So that's a neat, that's a good answer. People who want to access the North Field want go to the top mm -hmm. park lot, which is there. But it, in this thing, it's gone away, kind of. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that if we actually did have everything that down in that one western, the one lot on the west side, the Overlook parking lot would be full 100% of the time because that's where people would go to park because that's closer. So I actually think that you have to think a little bit of where the natural behavior of the outsiders is and rather than say you're going to sh shuttle them all to a certain spot and then they're going to go out from there, I think it's going to have to be more like where do we think people are going to want to eat? What do we, where do we think people are going to want to go? Let's make sure we've provided. doesn't mean there's more parking spaces. It's just thinking of how you've allocated them is probably going to require a little more subtlety. Uh, as a practical matter, I think it's going to be that way anyway because who's going to police? Oh, you're a visitor, so you could be here, but you're a member of the public and you can't. It's like it, it's not – I don't see how that all works. Well, you know, it's – Right from the start of the development there, whether it was with DCAM or whether it was with uh, the master plan or now with Trinity, I mean, the, the number of parking spaces has always been a problem. Mm -hmm. And they are limited by uh, the impervious uh, impermeability requirements and trying to, to keep it as low as possible. So they do have some issues there. But I also think that for the people who voted for this, uh, disposition of, of the property. And by the way, I did not stand in front of it. Trinity answered all of the major objections that I had previously. Um, but I think you have to be careful not to set the, the appearance of the overlook is for the people who live at the development. Right. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's not their private. Um, that argues for more public parking up on the north side there. Well, also, or, or, also about the, again, where are people going? Where are they going to go? Where is it likely to get its most use? And it's on both sides. I mean, both sides of the property need to have, need to have some reasonable amount of parking. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. today that area over, overlooking the Charles isn't always packed. You can no. guarantee it's going to be packed going forward. And that's kind of a tight little area. And kind of coming out of there, taking the quick, sharp turn, whatever that's actually going to look like when it's all said and done, um, I mean, we need to get ahead of it, right? So again, I think we have a really good partner. I, I mean, Abby was extremely responsive on Friday afternoon. I could tell last night by the dialogue and the tone. Mm -hmm. um, and, and taking a quote right off their website. You know, they work and they want to be part of the community, right? So they're not coming in and giving everybody a stiff arm. And I, and I don't expect that to happen as we move forward. So I think as we move through this process, um, the more we hear from the community, from the neighbors, we can, we can flush this out and... Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Okay, we may do this a couple more times in our meeting, maybe not every meeting, but I think this is a useful conversation. Any last comments, Pete? Uh, well, the only other thing that I noticed last night was that they were not tearing down the maintenance building any longer, so the mural's going to stay, apparently. Well, I don't know if that came with it automatically, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I would think they'd be hard-pressed to tear the mural down. Mm -hmm.
All right, let's draw that to a close. Okay. Uh, action items, board and committee appointments. Uh, vote to appoint Robert Egler to the Capital Budget Committee. So moved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? That's approved. Next, vote to appoint Neil Downing to the Dog Control Bylaw Committee. So moved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Yes. Aye. Aye. Opposed? Can I ask a quick question on that? Yes. So I'm having my first dog committee meeting on Thursday night. Um, if, if we, is there any chance we can get him sworn in before then? If he can get here tomorrow. Okay. Oh, well, tomorrow's Wednesday. As long as he can get here before Thursday. Okay. Yeah. And if, even if he's not sworn in, he can show We're not really voting on anything. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next, vote to adopt the procurement card policy. Anybody have any comments on the no, wording I, of the procurement card policy? I spoke with Christine because some of the concerns I have were just some of the control factors mm -hmm. and the gating and the fact that this has been brought to the town as a recommendation by our auditors means it's a, it, it actually helps with more control, not less. Mm -hmm. And um, reading through the policies and all of the, the, the meeting have receipts. So even if somebody is spending less than um, uh, like to say $25 or $250 for approval, they still need to show the receipts what they bought. So to me, it, 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 it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. All good. I thought it made sense to do, and so I, I'm in favor of it. I would have called it a credit card policy, but. Hmm. No. Just All the procurement card. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and my, my only reactions were more having to do with, if I, I was reading it as somebody who was going to get the card, and so there were there's issues around personal uh, liability. Mm -hmm. it, it's not that that's inappropriate. It's just the wording of the personal liability had that cold, hard tone to it that your normal credit card license agreement has. So it felt, but that that's you know auditors figure out how to do that. That's just an observation about tone. And then the only thing that caught my attention when I was going through it was having having worked for a company where we had a company card and the bill came to the company. Uh, you always had the accounting people having to chase people down for the receipts because basically we never paid our own bills. They just got, they got taken care mm -hmm. of. So there was no driving incentive to make sure you get your receipts in on time. In this case, if I read it right, the charges go to the department. So the incentive around closing the loop between receipts that people get mm -hmm. and charges the department sees it sounded to me like it's sort of the department has to be on top of that. Yeah, it's really the treasurer who will be on top of that. Um, the treasurer is going to be issuing the statement to the departments and the departments have an obligation to pay. Um, I know, but yeah. so, so that means if I'm a department head, I have the obligation oh. to pay, but now it's on me to make sure that all those charges that came in, presumably what most of them perhaps would be from the department head exactly. alone, so it's maybe yeah. not a big deal. But what I'm getting at is there's always a challenge to figure out how to get the person. If the person who's generating the receipt is not paying the bill, mm -hmm. there's an incentive issue around making sure the receipts get to the person who is paying the bill so that they can confirm that the bill is correct. That's, well, that's the issue. And if the receipt doesn't... That's probably the issue and the sticking point that we've been talking about for the last 16 months to get yeah. to this point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But that's yeah. forewarned is forearmed. Oh, yes. That's fine. Okay. Uh, so do we a motion to adopt the so moved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. We now have a procurement card policy. Thank you. <laughs> For 
to procure. Uh, next, request from Trinity. No, so this, for anybody out there still listening to this meeting, this is not the Trinity we've been talking about. <laughs> this is Trinity Solar, a completely different and independent company. Uh, they are one of the companies that puts uh, solar panels on people's roofs. Re request from Trinity Solar solicitor Justin Diamond for an extension of time of his solicitor's license, which will expire on February 2nd, 2023, for an additional six months. As I recall, when he first requested this, we told him, yeah, he would give it to you until the new year, and then if you want to come back for more time, you can. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, Christine, I think you told me that there's nothing, there's certainly no negative reports, and no. everything we have is that he's doing a good job. No, you yeah. told him um, that if he wanted to request an extension, he did not have to come back in person, that you would request it. I, yeah, I he spoke with ask, him personally. Yeah, yeah, he did ask for six months, but our typical is three months, so okay. I would yeah. recommend three so he came and pitched me and some of the folks in my neighborhood. And so when I, he called me the other day, I said, are you doing this mainly because you've been successful and there's a lot of follow-up? He said, yeah, basically, good. that there's, there's a lot of work to be done. So um, it's all good. So, so Christine, I would, Christine's recommending that it be for three months, not six months. I assume if we do that, we'll grant it with the same, yes. uh, all those um, conditions the last all the, well, yes. same conditions, but also the same promise. You don't have to come back three months from now in person. And if we continue to hear good reports, you good. should expect that extension if you need it to be as easily obtained as I think this one is about to be. Yeah, I would move to uh, grant him the license for the three months that Christine has indicated. On the, same, chair, on the on same, same terms, terms and conditions. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Uh, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. Uh, opposed? Motion carries. Justin has another three months out through March, April, May 2nd. Same conditions. Uh, next, vote to accept grant funds from Cambridge Health for the purchase of two tablet devices hmm. and protective covers. And this is for the public health nurse. Perfect. Okay. And as I was reading it, and it always gets me, you've already heard from me on this mark before, where the contract sounds like it's for a contractor, but it's actually a rather convoluted document to procure two tablet devices. What I wasn't clear about is what, how, did the, how does the public health nurse use them? She's going to be using them in her vaccine clinics. Yeah, so sense. it's kind of tracking that mm -hmm. who's vaccinated and all the all the medical stuff. And it'll allow her to be a little more mobile, so we might be able to do those okay. in different locations. Okay. Yep. So moved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Next. Uh, hold on. No. Uh, vote to sign the contract with Cartographic Associates Inc. for tap tax map maintenance for processing data recording recorded. From January 1st, 2023 through December 31st, 2023, as I recall, Christine, it's something like a $3,200 contract mm -hmm. plus $20 for each entry. For each, or, yeah, each parcel. And this is the annual contract. I believe this is going to be the third year, okay. uh, second or third year that we've had them. Okay. And Yvonne's been very happy with their work. Yeah. Okay. And I just like it because they're actually located up in New Hampshire. They probably never set foot in Medfield. So moved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye, aye. aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Next, Affordable Housing Trust requests a vote to authorize an additional $500 <laughs> to complete the Group Home Consultant Services Agreement originally authorized by the Board of Selectmen on October 11th, 2022. Well, Eileen, I certainly hope that you push to get 
tighter fiscal <laughs> in your time on the Affordable Housing Trust. I did. I did. Now, so this is, so oh, was, it so, was 5000 and she cut them down. <laughs> okay. Do you want me to explain uh, what's yes, going on? Yes, yeah. All right. Cool. So Kathy Boyle. Uh, be a first for the sports like when somebody can explain what's going on. <laughs> and I'm not going to leave early. Uh, so our original contract was for $3,000 for her to do 30 hours worth of work. Uh, she's at 29.5, and there's still some more work to be done, which includes uh, packaging the data from the surveys. And uh, she's estimating at about two hours preparing and presenting the final report about two and a half, and then presenting to the Affordable Housing Trust on March 2nd, which is about 30 minutes. So, uh, and this is, uh, having been involved with this group, they're doing such great things, and, and what they're striving for with this adult home and um, the, the needs, it, it's fantastic. So uh, I applaud what they're doing, and said the $500 is certainly reasonable. So moved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Citizen uh, comment. Everybody registered this evening. Any? Going once. Yes. Going twice. Going three times. Yes, I do. And thank you. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> Those are good. Um, your, your perspective about the impact across the border between what we might do versus what's there is well taken. I, I suspect that they won't do anything really toxic any more than we would do anything really toxic. But. Uh, I still I hadn't thought about it from that angle, so I appreciate the comments. Uh, consent agenda. We have nothing this evening on nothing the consent to agenda. consent to. Okay. This is good. Uh, and meeting minutes, November first. This is one we already had before, right? Yes. Yes. So, I don't think anybody had finished. So the only comment that I have on this one is, so if you recall, this is the meeting where we came back, the Deerfield community or uh, neighborhood came back, and between. Uh, Mo and Mark, there was some guidance as to what they needed to do for the planning board. If you look at the meeting minutes, because again, I, I know I do this differently than you guys. I literally watch the Zoom, mm -hmm. so I'm watching mm -hmm. the dialogue, and sometimes it, it gets pretty intense. What I don't want to see happen is between pages six and eight, there's a lot of guidance to Deerfield neighborhood as to what they need to do to, to working with the planning board and the town to bring the street and the sewer up to a standard that the town can ex accept it, uh, put it up for vote at a town meeting. I'm not gonna, I'm not the expert. So Mark, what I was just saying is uh, the November 1st set of meeting minutes, um, I've approved everything up until this one section where it's on pages six through eight, where there's a dialogue that goes back and forth and it includes yourself, uh, includes uh, Mo, there's references to planning, but what we are trying to do in this one section of the meeting is to advise the Deerfield neighborhood the steps that were required that we're asking them to do. If you come back with the following, we can move forward. And I just, before I say it looks good, because I, I, I mean, these people have already had a scenario where they've had expectations, they're frustrated with what's gone on over the last 30 years. We're trying to get them over that frustration by going through a set of steps so that we can move their request forward. I just want to make sure those steps are, if, is there anything that might be missing in those meeting minutes? I'm not smart enough to know if there is anything missing with what we're guiding them to do between meeting with the planning board, meeting with Mo, having to file certain things. Um, I, don't, I don't know if, who, if it's worth Mo taking a second look at that where Sarah taking a look at it. But what I don't want to do is we say, yes, it's good to go. 
and they come back and say, we followed these steps. It's your meeting minutes. You said they were good. It's what we did. And now you're telling me we missed a step or two and we're, we're. Well, yeah, I mean, it, yes, but I, minutes have to be accurate. Say it one more time. I'm sorry. Minutes have to be accurate as to what was said. If anything, you can compare them with the, the tape of the meeting to see what was actually said. And I'm trying to do that, but, but since I'm not an attorney and I'm not on planning board and I'm not Mo, when you read it, I'm not sure I'm reading it accurately. And I, I watched this one section three times this afternoon, and it's detailed. And it's hard to follow from what's written to what the dialogue is, because trust me, it's not a five-minute conversation right. at all. Um, so if I think I think that we we can do that, but I think more importantly, anybody who's looking for street acceptance, you know, we went to that uh, MMA meeting on it. Anybody who's looking for that will follow the guidance that's been issued for the planning board, and I did give that to them that night. Um, so there is written documentation as to how to proceed then the way it's written on this, the meeting minutes, yep. just protecting us, is if you do the following. And one of the questions is but, but, if but I... But Eileen, I don't think people should not rely on the meeting minutes as a legal, legally sufficient set of instructions for what they need to do on something like this when they've been provided with the actual guidance. Because we just, okay. that was a lie. Okay. Bottom line is it's a town meeting vote required, so nobody can commit to anything anyway. But we'll we'll take a look at all of it. Just do, just yeah. just one of those. I don't want to back come back two months and say, well, this is what was was advised to us, and here it is, um, because it's as I said, I kept watching, and I'm like, I this is so hard to follow because everyone kept mm -hmm. chiming in and, and and giving different and in all in good way. Mm -hmm. um, we were trying to be overly helpful. But but all the more reason that none of them should say, well, this is what the meeting minute. This is I watched the video. I did exactly what I heard in the video. Now you have you're legally bound to abide by it. It's not right. No, and I'm not saying it in that way. But but okay. if but if but again, if they don't go to the video and they read the meeting minutes and we say these are the steps are required, I just want to make sure that that I'm happy to look at it. I don't okay. remember any guarantees or no. promises made anyway. Uh, the the what was implied was so so we've given you the steps and this is what you need to do and right. to get it to ready with. to present to town meeting with no guarantees of what that result would be. The only thing you guaranteed is that we would support it if they did everything they needed to do, <laughs> right? Which I don't yeah, disagree yeah, with that. Yeah. That if they, if, if all, all I'm getting at is we don't want to represent the meeting minutes as a legally sufficient definitive course of action. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I'm trying to remember back to that meeting. I think there actually were a couple of times where when they said, "So this is exactly what we have to do," and the answer was, "You have to follow the guidance," and here's the guidance, mm -hmm. uh, and that was, I think, deliberate at least on my part, either that or my memory is overactive and I'm making stuff up. I haven't <laughs> the video. But that's in my head for sure. It's like, no, if you are asking me if I just gave you the definitive set of steps in this live spontaneous conversation, I did not. I gave you the best description, but the policy is what will tell you what you have to do. I think that was actually Frank's first meeting, so we'll task you with that. <laughs> that was actually... That was the meeting before I started because I was No, because that was still at the library. Yes. Oh, we were still at the library. On my so he's, an, he's like a blank sheet. He will give us an there honest assessment. There we go, honest assessment. <laughs> I just remember watching it on the Friday before I started. He still yes, he'll, he'll say that uh, <laughs> the video was garbled for 30 seconds. Yeah, it was <laughs> well, I'll be happy to do Well, thanks. That. I'm kidding. Uh, okay. Um, so that's, I guess, still a deferred... Well, I just said to Brittany, I agree with everything except for pages six through eight. I'm not sure well, that was. We'll take a look at it. As kind of a big part of it, the eight page. Well, I think it was a 12 page. Uh, 12, yeah. Oh. 
We'll defer. For, we have an act. We, let's not take action. Now. Town administrator updates. A uh, few things tonight. Uh, first thing, on February 27th, we are doing the open meeting law training. Uh, we opened that up to uh, the new school building committee, and then I believe Brittany is sending out notices to the chairman of all committees, and they've been invited to that. Um, unfortunately, the Council on Aging is still closed until further notice. Um, I did receive an update during the meeting this evening that we have part of the fire suppression uh, system restored, but the whole sprinkler system um, has not been pressurized yet. So the building needs to remain closed until we complete that. Chris, was there a lot of water damage? There is some damage. Uh, there is some damage. Bad, although then. No, I don't. I don't think it's it's not catastrophic by any way. There there was some equipment that was lost, um, and there's some some wall damage. So uh, the insurance company has been notified. Still have that thousand dollar deductible, um, and they'll come out and take a look this week. Um, Brittany wanted me to remind everybody the spring car wash dates are open. Contact her uh, if you're interested in doing that. Um, Let's see. Oh, before anybody leaves tonight, I've been told that the back parking lot is very icy. There's been a flash freeze while we were here, so please be careful when you're leaving. Um, so you should have parked. I know. Parked 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 parked. Oh, okay, now great. <laughs> oh, then. Parked on the water tower. It's okay. <laughs> oh, that's a decent walk. That's fine. Um, and the only other thing I know, uh, I've talked about it with you individually, but just wanted to recognize again that we received the budget distinction award for the GFOA budget um, for fiscal year 23. So we're very excited about that. Um, funny story, they actually notified us in December. Only that notification went to Oregon. <laughs> um, and I'm still trying to get my plaque back. Top secret? That's why they didn't. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully we'll have our plaque to hang up in the selectman's office they, they uh, shortly. They balloon and there was... <laughs> I was going damage. to see. <laughs> yeah. But he got here when he was lost and doing it again. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Next meeting dates, uh, February 21st, March 7th. And the warrant hearing will be on March 20th, which is interesting. That's the same night as the, the uh, planning board hearing as well. Yes, just for the record, I scheduled my warrant hearing six months ago, so I may have beat them, but we'll, we'll work around that. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. And then we have another one on March 21st. Is that part of your scheduling around? or We have March 20th and March 21st. Uh, March 20th is the warrant hearing that the uh, Warrant Committee was planning on doing that at their regularly scheduled meeting. Oh, okay. And then we have the Selectman's meeting on okay. the 21st, so we may combine those. Okay. I okay. talked to Sarah today. Okay. And then March 27th is the annual town election. If anybody cares, I did submit my nomination papers to Marion yesterday. So I, once again, have proven I have at least 50 friends left in town, which is, <laughs> which is good. Uh, let's see, selectman reports. All right. So, uh, just a little FYI, the kickoff for the dog control bylaw meeting is this Thursday night. That's we'll get that going. I see Jill in the back. Um, affordable housing trust meeting that we had last week. Um, nothing earth shattering, just moving things along. I know, I know Kerry's been looking at um, some of the areas in town that's town-owned land for Habitat Humanity projects. So I think he's got about eight that he's going to be able to evaluate. Um, we talked about what's been going on with uh, Bob Borelli's project over at Ice House, which I happened to get a tour. I was leaving the, the 
uh, gym and he brought me through the one of the 40Bs and one of the market rate ones. Um, you know, no surprise, Bob's done, doing a great job over there. So that was good. Um, glad we talked about the whole Trinity thing. That, that's good. And one of the questions I know that came up that I had, and I also saw it on the questions, uh, and Christine, you've educated me on this, is the street names. That they can name them whatever they want, but then when it comes time to submit them for approval, whatever yeah. if it's if self Street's already taken, you go to yes. Plan B. If and they and that goes through the committee to study memorials. They manage a, a street name list. Okay, cool. And then I'll give you something. I just saw Susan Cronin coming in here tonight. Um, I got my excise tax in the mail, and it's an interesting thing. If you have two cars, it's just, it, so I have a very old Lexus that I use. It's a transfer station car. That's a, it's 2006. I have a. Newer Volvo, my Lexus excise tax bill is more expensive than my 2019 Volvo, right? And I said, Susan, is there an error here? Because this makes no sense. I'm paying, I'm paying like 116 for my Lexus, and it's given a value of 4,500 dollars. My Volvo, which is significantly more expensive, you valued it at $4,100, and I'm paying less for that. She's like, well, first of all, it's not me; it's the registered motor vehicles. And I'm like, yeah, but what sense does that make? She's like, again, not me. So if anyone out there is listening and you get an excise tax and you think it's really screwy, um, it, it, there's nothing Susan can do about it because she's only getting the data from the RMV. Um, someone who has a brand new 2023 car in town that has a significantly expensive value, her, theirs was appraised that I think she said $200. So makes, there's something quirky going on in, in the... Hmm. And let the record show there's at least one member of the Board of Selectmen who stands up for tax, the tax rights of taxpayers. Well, I mean, that's, there's got to be something wrong in the system. It doesn't make sense. Right? So a little, little tidbit. If you get it and you're questioning, it's... Call Eileen. It's, it's not Susan. No, don't call, no, don't call Susan. It's not Susan Cronin. She's just passing the paper along. Well, we're short on tax dollars. Let's, know, least, know, let's collect correctly. Right? I know. I know. Uh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Anything and, else? And on that note, I'll pass baton to Pete. <laughs> I had uh, office hours, and I had someone come and uh, talk to me about the criminal activity on Dale Street. Um, and I shared that with the chief. And uh, um, then I went to the memorial service for uh, Robert Athanath Abernathy, who was my neighbor. Uh, he was on the uh, Board of Health and on the Medfield Coalition Against for Suicide Prevention as well. And it was just a beautiful service. That's it. Okay. Uh, let's see. I had uh, I've actually been signed up for MMA Zoom meetings, and uh, they, they haven't been too bad. The one right after our last meeting that I signed up for was the one that was put on by the Department of Local Services, which it, it basically said it was around municipal finance. It actually wasn't. It was a somewhat awkwardly structured but nonetheless informative uh, webinar that went the DLS site has I, I hadn't appreciated how much information you can get on DLS's site uh, and a lot of the information that was of particular interest to me is you can actually screen things where you can look at other towns information so if you want to do comparisons between Medfield and other towns you can get a lot of really useful information out of it uh, it went on for an hour and it was mostly kind of navigating your way through the site and then trying to remember what they did so that you'd be able to do it on your own. But actually, I think it's not, too, it shouldn't be that hard for anyone to figure out if they're trying to get access to state level 
data uh, that's being tracked on towns. And, and it's a lot of good stuff. Uh, things like school enrollment, it's right there. Uh, other parts around you know, comparative taxes for different towns and things like that, that was all there. So that was, a, even though it was a little quirky in the way they set it up, it was good. De yes, uh, Department of Local Services, not labor standards or anything like that. Um, You're in DOR. Yes. But anyway, it's all it's been upgraded, I gather, too. Uh, I went to, or I, no, I didn't go to it. I listened to the school department FY24 budget hearing uh, for that at the high school auditorium. That was interesting. I was... Surprise, Chris, it was you and maybe two other people in the auditorium. It was just two. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I was guessing maybe somebody outside the camera line. There was nobody there for that, which was interesting. Um, and I went to, we had a kickoff meeting for the new school committee uh, building, the new school building oh, committee. Right. Yep. So that was, that was a great uh, start. I'm, Optimistic, the people that were in at that meeting. Um, I think there's some good people on that committee. Good. I think, uh, given the breadth of backgrounds and perspectives, I suspect it's going to be a dynamic effort. Uh, be fun to watch. And uh, and then the last thing was I. I uh, no, no, no. Next to last thing, the planning board meeting that we already talked about last night, and then again today at noontime, uh, there was it was a uh, MMA webinar entitled. Managing municipal meetings, and I thought it was going to be like the World Wrestling Federation version of you know all those things you see on like on YouTube and places of all these meetings. It actually wasn't. It it had it was a softer version of how to set up meetings, how to let people speak, um, how to deal with cantankerous members of the audience, uh, and I've concluded. <laughs> I've concluded that there are some other towns here in Massachusetts that have citizens that are more aggressively cantankerous than we seem to have around here. So uh, I felt good about the fact that we don't have to have any special martial arts skills in the, on the Board of Selectmen or anything like that. That was, that was a good thing. Uh, and I think that's it. Uh, I will report for the first time based on the authority that you all have vested in me <laughs> that uh, I think I'm supposed to do this, right, Frank? Yeah, it's not enough just to have it written here. Chair Murby signed the 124-2023 and 131-2023 vendor warrants. I hereby report I have done that, and Chair Murby signed the 2223 payroll warrant. So for all of those of you view on the payroll, you should be happy to hear Thank that. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, I think that's part of this new thing. It has to be officially declared in a meeting that those things happened, and yep. I can, in fact, confirm that I did those things. Excellent. I was happy that there were only three things I had to sign because the pile, the stack in the accountant's office is about that high. I said there must be five warrants there, but there weren't. We'll still need the two remaining signatures on, on those warrants. That just allows us to pay the... Oh, I thought you only needed one when you delegated it to me. I think we need the I thought that was the whole advantage of this. If it's good enough, if it's good I thought I thought the whole point was if you designated one person to do it this way. That's a statute. And you didn't have someone. to have the others do it. I mean I let me double check. Yeah. It, yeah, we did. We did. 
Andrew sent up. Took us three votes to get there, Bill. <laughs> he sent up all of them, but I can double check yeah. with him. Okay. The, sto the stone grinds slow yet exceedingly fine, Bill. Thanks. I don't think he. I think that's the whole. Point. All right. Uh, looks like we're at the. Unless we want to have an informal discussion about uh, radio frequency issues three miles out of town. Uh, I don't think we have anything further. I'll entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. We'll see you all in two. Well, I don't know if we will for sure, but you're more than welcome to come back in two weeks. Be careful.